0: This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. The Dale Jr. Download. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Today's guest, Brandon Marshall, NFL wide receiver. I've been looking forward to this one, Mike, and uh, we've got a lot of questions to ask him, but it should be pretty interesting.
1: Can't wait. we not had an NFL no. star wide receiver in the table before, so we're going to do that. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we have it. So he's uh, there's
0: there's a lot of great topics in researching him that I can't wait to discuss. I think some of the things that, that he might have to say might be pretty helpful. So um, let's get started. Let's jump right into the open segment, though. The other day I was watching NBCSN and they had the world chase tag championships or uh, tag there's a there's tag team Ta- tag you play tag <laughs> professional tag. Tag. Okay. tag professional tag there's an international championship for competitive parkour involving the game of tag so i'm watching it on my screen and i'm thinking dang i've never seen tag on tv before right right right
1: um but
0: it's more than tag it is parkour really and with tag as a component.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. I, I can see it. You know, my little nephew goes to parkour practice, yeah. and I'm like, what, what is parkour right. practice? But if you add tag to the element, so it I've, makes sense. Yeah,
0: and going around the neighborhood a little bit, I've been seeing some of these parkour style things hanging out of people's trees in their yards. Like their kids are, that's like this new, So it's the, yeah. it's the new jungle gym or the new, you know, the new thing for kids to be playing with. I guess. I guess. I mean, like, yeah. I see it all the time now. I mean. Am I the only one?
1: Well. Do you see No, me? I mean, like, like again, my nephew says, you know, I've got to go to parkour yeah. practice. Does he and have I'm like, this? What do you
0: practice on parkour? Does he have the thing in the backyard with the thing
1: hanging from the trees? Yeah, I guess he does. I mean, like, what are you going to do? How do you practice yeah. it? I mean, tree limbs? I mean, curbs?
0: Well, let's explain <laughs> um, Let's explain what the International Championship for Competitive Parkour uh, involving the game, game of tag is. Uh, there's two teams per game, uh, uh, six players per team. Sixteen rounds per game. The tags only count by hand. You can't tag someone by their foot. All right, that uh, changes with your things. foot, I guess. Yeah. Can't um, kick them. In each twenty-second round, there is a chaser from one team and an evader from the other. Right. So that's one pretty on much one. One on one. Yep. Twenty-second rounds. The winning player from the round stays on the evading side, and the loser player is substituted for a teammate who then chases. Get him out. Uh one point is awarded to a team after their player evades a tag for twenty seconds. Kind of like riding a bull for eight seconds. You stay on, you get a yeah, you know, you get a
1: score. Right. Okay, yeah, when you said tag championships, I'm like, oh god, how long could that go on? But no, twenty well, seconds. I was, you I was got twenty watch-
0: seconds to tag. Yeah, I was watching this in a bar, the sound wasn't on. I couldn't I don't know I couldn't figure it out like how it was working, right? But this makes so much more sense.
1: But this is a great bar. It was, Televising. If you're in a bar yeah. watching tag, it makes sense. If
0: a player <laughs> steps off the quad, it's just, the quad is sort of the ring, I suppose. Then their team loses the round. Teams with the most points in the 16 rounds wins. And, and there's one US team that's made up of Hollywood stuntman. That's kind of cool. You love the stories, right? Makes these people human yeah that's one of them yeah yeah (laughs) i
1: I wouldn't imagine being able to humanize a tag person i mean well
0: you want to make the (laughs) you know in sports you want to make the athlete human and the hollywood stuntman team is now immediately my favorite team in tag professional tag because that's the only team that
1: i have a story about okay what are they called
0: i don't know i'm
2: just they're called the hollywood hollywood free runners oh
1: you know this
2: well so i may have been researching this yesterday and I may have got sucked into their YouTube channel yeah. longer than I probably should have.
0: <laughs> the only thing that when I was watching it with the sound turned off, um, the only thing that I might say I would add is... Th- so the the quad or the ring is basically a bunch of piping that they kind of climb through and under and over, uh, and, and it's it looks a bit like a maze might look, mm. but without you know, you can see through it, right? Mm-hmm. And I believe that it might be more interesting if you couldn't see through it. Like, it was more like a maze where you could be sneaking around this thing trying to find your component, and oh, then yeah. once you sort of have located him, then it becomes a game of tag, and then he could he could lose you by making a turn, mm-hmm. a quick turn or a jump over, whatever, you know? I, I just think being able to... Because when they start, they basically can look across the ring and see the guy, and wherever he goes, they go, Right. Mm -hmm. And they kind of try to cut him off. And uh, I was like, man, it'd be cooler, I think, if they
1: couldn't see each other right away. Had to hunt them, find them, right? Give them more than 20 seconds, but yeah. Yeah, it's more like hide and seek. Professional hide and seek.
2: (laughs) With tag and parkour. With tag tag and parkour. parkour.
1: Boom. Did we just create a new sport? (laughs) We did. I love that you are you you are uh your experience in this is about, you know, a couple minutes from a bar and you already are taking a position on how to change a sport for the better. Like this is <laughs> your national fairgrounds, but for, for this sport. I think I
0: would have only I would only I would only came up with that thought had a not had, had the sound been on, I wouldn't have been able to de- <laughs> develop that thought. But since the sound was off, I was able to think in my head for a minute. <laughs> Because if your sound was on, you'd be listening to it and not thinking for yourself, right? That makes sense.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, you're you're sort so of you're sort you're sort of speaking against the uh, the uh, the broadcast analyst profession, um, which you are one in okay. NASCAR. But like, yeah, but I see what you're saying.
0: I was uh, I thought it was interesting. So I guess if you want to watch some of that, it's on NBCSN. Did you want to do it yourself? No, you wouldn't want to just like. Have, have a tag it competition hard. it looks extremely difficult well, against them it lo- no 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 it looks extremely difficult to maneuver this sort of jungle gym it's imperfect right it's not like this um consistent thing when you're running through it and there's all it's it's just really imperfect and very injury oh yeah
1: prone oh yeah there's ACLs all over that course Bent,
0: yeah ankles <laughs> and everything Yes, and there would, is. i would not last and I would not last a 22nd round without
1: breaking something. I have a, a I tag take. injury that actually I, it <laughs> scarred me for life. Yeah. yeah, And it happened with my tooth, which you'll be a, you'll be glad to know. Yeah. yeah. Third grade, Elaine Adcock pushed me down. Illegal, Illegal elbow, I believe. Yep. Yeah, I'm not over it. Illegal elbow. Ch- chip tooth, man. You don't mess with my teeth uh. and, and live to tell about well, it. Well, you'd,
0: you'd never know it. You'd never, you never know it. You <laughs> would never know Dennis that you did a good job, yeah, huh? For sure. <laughs> Alex Bowman wins at Richmond. Greg right. Ives pumped up the tires for the last run. Is that what he did? That's what he said. Yeah. He, I read an article where he said he, learned, he, he, he thought about something that happened between me and him at Richmond years ago that, that helped him with that plan.
1: There you go. That, Which that I thought was makes, neat. Yeah.
0: He said that he did something similar with me, and it didn't quite work out the way we wanted, and me and him had a conversation afterwards that helped him understand how to make that work better. Mm.
1: That's cool. You don't remember that though. I'm
0: right? imagining that he pumped my tires up for a run that was a little bit too long. Probably. Right. Cuz that don't work for Right. Or maybe I don't know, whatever he didn't he he learned something. And the other thing that I thought was interesting about what Greg Ives said was knowing that they had a competition yellow at the first of the race, they pumped the tires up then to give it a bit of a test trial run. How smart is that?
1: He's a smart guy.
0: How smart is that?
1: That is smart. I mean,
0: it sounds like common sense now right. but in the moment if you're on the box and a crew chief and preparing for the race all the things that you got your hands involved do you think of that
1: do you apply that much foresight you into i don't think you yeah, do no all right good for him we're gonna have him on the show here so, yep. uh, soon
0: jimmy johnson made his indycar debut at barber motorsports park finishing 19th i think he spun out one time coming over a hill uh, but he was super pleased if he's pleased i'm pleased <laughs> the fact that um the rich, So the cup race uh, was on at three. The IndyCar race was on at three. And I didn't get to really see everything that I wanted to see. I wish they could work it out to where they weren't on top of each other like that. But uh, so I wished I'd have seen a little bit more of Jimmy's debut. Um, I kind of feel like an obligation as, as a NASCAR guy to watch the NASCAR race. So I sure. ended up doing that. But um, yeah, Jimmy earned 19th. He was happy they didn't qualify last. So I'm assuming that he's happy that he didn't finish last. He needs to give himself Learned a little a more credit, but oh, I, he, that that would have been nerve-wracking. I thought he did give himself a lot of credit. Well, he got out and said, "Mission accomplished." That was fun. Ready to do it again. Good for him. We'll be able to watch more. But why would they go head to head? That that made no sense. It didn't make any sense. I was disappointed because, oh, and uh, check this out, man. I mean, fantasy sports, right? I'm, I kind of I play a little uh, NFL fantasy sports. I also play NASCAR fantasy sports. Uh, we had this uh, fantasy league that. Uh, Jeff Binky with NBC has all had all of us get involved in like two or three years ago. And so we've been doing this league and it's called the NBC Sports NASCAR America Beat the Broadcasters League. And there's 10,684 members, right? Mm-hmm. 10,684 members after uh, how many races? Nine. S- guess yeah. where I'm at in the rankings. Um eight. Top uh, 50. Ten thousand, uh, top hundred. I'm seventeenth. Wow! Hey, dude, I'm pumped. I finished in the top three last year. I think third. When I say top three, not overall. When I say okay. top three, I mean of the broadcasters. Of the broadcasters. There's like ten of us in there. Kelly Stavis won. Okay. Marty was second, and I think I was third last year. And so it's really competitive. We have a email chain where we're very competitive against each other. And they're like, "Man, you're doing great, Junior. You're, you're uh." You're out to a big lead over us, uh, and I'm sure you've used up all your Denny Hamlin's by this point. Have you? And I said, "Well, I pumped the tires up." Ah, just like Craig. just like Greg Ives. Fantasy got humor got me a big
1: lead. <laughs> but anyhow, man, I was pretty proud of that, so I thought I'd share. Well, good for you. 17th. Congratulations, seventeenth overall. Come back to us when you won. It's a shame. All right, we're we're about the uh, finish line here. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, um. We mentioned our guest Brandon Marshall's coming on the show, NFL wide receiver. Me and Mike kind of challenge ourselves to to look outside that kind of NASCAR bubble, and and um, we've got a great opportunity to uh, to bring somebody in who who we can we can talk to somebody about something that we really don't know that much about. Right. I've been a huge football fan all my life, so obviously I've got questions. But um, uh, Brandon's got some other things too that he's very open about, very uh, comfortable sharing, and that's mental health. Um, We actually have a uh, partner this week, in uh, one of the ad reads that relates to that, which is coincidental. But um, so we're excited to talk about that. Uh, I wonder how some of his conversations with mental health may intertwine or overlap with some of my experiences with concussions, Uh, or maybe something else somebody else in this room may have went through or be going through. Um, I'm sure his his uh, comments are going to be helpful. But um, it's we had. I think back, like, uh, we have a long list of guests that we want to have on the show, and there are some in there that aren't NASCAR guys, right? Right. And, and we we want to challenge ourselves. We do, you know, obviously NASCAR is kind of our niche, and, and we love doing the history, but we also want to challenge ourselves to step outside of that box every once in a while and, and get a breath of fresh air,
1: and I, I expect Brandon's going to be just that. He's going to be that. He also uh, does a very successful podcast that's on YouTube that is called I Am Athlete, and he does it with a few other NFL uh, retired players. And you are going to be on that program, too. He's in town. We're we're sort of doing a trade-out. But you're going to do something that's also pretty cool, and you're going to give them some rides at Charlotte Motor Speedway uh, later today. So I can't wait to talk to him about that. He does have like – first of all, he is a NASCAR fan. And so I love – Talking to people that are uh, NASCAR fans, but not inside the sport, like yeah. you, you know, and so it, I don't know if like there's people that'll sit there and you know critique our levels of questioning. That was dumb. That was, look today may be a bunch of dumb questions, but we are just <laughs> fascinated yeah. by an NFL six-time Pro Bowl wide receiver who likes racing, who has done very well for himself. After football, which is uh, you know, and probably gleaned a lot from his experience in the in the league, uh, I can't wait to talk to him about
0: it. Yeah, he's got he he works in broadcasting as a TV personality as well. I got a few questions about him about that and his experience there. But the other thing too, watching his I Am Athlete podcast with Bubba Wallace, there was an exchange about uh, being an athlete. Our race car driver an athlete, right? Right. And so I'm excited to see what they're takeaway is from the laps in the car now they're going to be riding shotgun with me in a car and it's a good car so they don't want to be driving the car but usually when i do take people that haven't been out on a racetrack in their lives and they feel the g-forces the noise the heat the the vibration of the car and the speed they do kind of get they think in their mind i i can't imagine uh being doing that with with 40 other cars or 39 other cars right um, and that's when it sort of sinks in a little bit to most people that, that have that experience. So I'm looking forward to their takeaway from that, uh, and if we we can have that discussion again now, do you think that there's any you know there's any athleticism in, in driving a race car? Right. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to hear that takeaway. I, I it that's one of my favorite things to do is to take somebody for a ride in a race car that's never been in one. And I mean there's that's a lot that's everybody, right? That's most people like I've my wife, my you, me. Um, yeah. Even to take Kelly like Kelly my sister raced, but she never ran around Charlotte, she never ran 170 miles an hour. Uh so she we I took her around Bristol. She right. was shocked. And yeah. you would think, you know, having had driving experience it wouldn't have been such a profound, you know, such a profound deal for her, but it's so much fun to take people and and get their initial. I, I, only problem is, is I stay strapped in the car for the next person to get in, so I can't. I want to jump out and go have a conversation, right? right. So what do right. you think? Right, right. So I miss on, I miss out on that uh, initial right, right out of the car reaction. But it's one of one of the most enjoyable things I do. And again, like if you, if that person's an athlete from another sport, like Brandon it's even better because mm-hmm. you want to res- you want them to respect what you do and you want to respect what they do, right? Yeah.
1: They're that common ground. For sure. Yeah. It, so. it just, you know, listen, th- it's a different type of physical toll that you take on your bodies, but there is absolutely a physical toll that a race car driver experiences in wrestling that car at that speed around those tight turns. and And in three laps, you do get the sense of that. So it will be interesting to hear how he does that. And I look forward to hearing your interview with them on I Am Athlete because it's – Brandon does this podcast with Chad Ochocinco, with Channing Crowder, and Fred Taylor, all of them former football players in the NFL. Uh, Just unique experiences. So I can't wait to see you with those four guys talking about all that y'all have to talk about. It'll be fun. But first, we're going to have Brandon in here and uh, you know, get get the get the front end of that conversation.
3: Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo, it's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or the property, it's the location
4: and neighborhood, Dalton. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home.
3: And when we say in-depth, we're talking deep in-depth. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide.
4: They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings and student to teacher ratio they even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent
3: so when it comes to finding a home not just a house a home this is everything you need to know all in one place homes.com we've done your homework
0: well all right he's here so let's bring him in brandon marshall on the dale jr download
5: I'm in the game. You hear the crowd, they terminate Just give me the ball, I'ma take it in. I'm breaking that, cause we can run it again. Up top, y'all are down low. Out wide, y'all, I'm for sure. You can throw it deep, but throw it short. I'ma catch the ball. We need a ball Just sixty minutes. That's all we need. No yellow flags, no penalties. Five down liners in the a, a running back, a tight end. Three receivers, on five players, a good head coach and a coordinator. A field goal kicker, some get it. to rejuvenate me, I'm ready to play. What's up, man? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. What's
6: up? I should have been a driver. You have a whole city here.
1: What's up? Actually, <laughs> Welcome. You ever been in the race shop? No. This all is. Right, a, come on in and tell us about a, it.
6: A black guy from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about all our stuff in here, and I was like, I never, never thought it was clutter until today. Oh, you like, think it's yeah, cluttered? I now it's kind you. of feeling like clutter because he's I, coming why? in here. Well, because you're coming in here and you're like, oh man, there's stuff everywhere. Like it's just a lot to look at.
6: Well, I mean, when you do amazing things and yeah. you so accomplished, we just we just gathered. A, we
0: just gathered all my junk and brought it here. That's all it is. <laughs> all, 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 all your, all my, all your all junk. My, all my stuff. Yeah. We, we, we raided his house.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. Tell that. What's up, Mike? On. Hey, how you doing, man? Chilling. The feast is here. The here. I, can, I the beast. can't believe this. This is awesome. We we were t- Dale and I were talking. We haven't had an all-pro NFL wide receiver on our show. This is an really? honor. It's all right, we got to get more guys. Yeah. No, I appreciate it.
6: You're it. Yeah, you're you're the in. one. All right, all right, cool. <laughs> no, I appreciate the invite. This is amazing. I, I, I really am um, amazed. I should have been a driver. <laughs> I mean, this, was, this, this is what comes with it?
0: I guess. I mean, you, you're, you're a bit <laughs> – like, there's not many big, big guys in our sport. Like, Michael yeah. Waltrip was probably – Michael was probably 6'2 or something, 6'5. Six, six, right. But it's tough for you guys to get in the car
6: because yeah. the cars are – but we can build it any way we want to now. Yeah,
0: you right? can. You can. Right. We, we yeah. got Shaquille O'Neal in the car. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I raced Shaq. You yeah. raced him, did raced he get him. you? <laughs> did he get you? We almost crashed. We did. <laughs> what? Yeah. It was it was tight. Oh, I'm not
6: getting in that little thing with you later then if you're yeah. saying you almost crashed. No, no.
0: Like we so um Shaq was at a... we were at this little short track. Yeah. And he did really good. So Uh, He had a little practice, and he gets out there, and he's running around, but he kind of stayed in the middle of the racetrack, and I I think they started me with like a two-lap handicap or something, so I'm coming around the track, and I got to pass him once and then go and pass him again to beat him, and as I'm coming up on him, he's in the middle of the track, and he kind of gets closer and closer to the wall, and I just barely went through the middle in between him and the wall. It wasn't too bad, but it was close. Wow,
1: (laughs) that would have been bad. Yeah. Oh yeah, you think it was, it was yeah. for a TV show? He was doing that show Shaq called Shag Versus. Versus, and yeah. so he was yeah. going to compete against different athletes yeah. in their own professions and right. sports. And he was scared; he did not want any part of that race car. Yeah, really. But he, he was good, though.
6: I mean, well, you know what? I once, I once went. Um, what's the fastest I've gone in a car? I was we were we we're going we we're leaving Jacksonville, hitting down to uh, Orlando, and uh, I had a Jaguar at the time, Jaguar XS, I believe, is just got it in Denver 2009 and my buddy was driving he hit 120 miles per hour and i freaked out he hit 120 <laughs> for about 5
0: seconds i said bro you're tripping i wouldn't want to be riding with anybody doing hundred, that either so well, you guys i like to drive though i want oh, you I, wanna, when i got the wheel I'm, i can go oh, you're fast good. yeah but riding with somebody else is not fun
6: yeah but even just that i mean that's a lot that's too fast <laughs> like who why why do you want to go yeah. that
1: fast yeah so you're going to ride with Dale Jr later on today i don't know
0: yeah, you, you, are you nervous? You can't turn back.
1: He just said he almost crashed it <laughs> with Shaq. <laughs> Don't worry, he'll go a lot faster in this car with you because they're at a big there's track. two ways right.
0: to there's two ways to do this, Brandon. So uh, when I we when get out there today, I'm gonna I'm gonna the first person that rides with me, whoever that is, right. I'm gonna need a couple laps to sort of get up to speed, and then once uh, I figure that out, which is about three laps, then I'm gonna say, all right, here's the ride. Now it's right. starting, right? And we're gonna go a few corners. But then the next guy that gets in, and the next guy, the next guy, they only are hitting it. They, I'm ready. So we'll just. Oh, I'm first then. If, if I go you first, want, <laughs> if you want to go first, you get more laps. Is what I'm saying. But
1: not as fast.
0: No, we'll get there. How fast? I will guess you go? the last run will be the fastest. Yeah.
1: And how fast is that?
0: I 170
6: probably. I don't need that. Just give give me one <laughs> 120. Remember, I told you that's my max. Oh man,
0: 120 can we feel take pretty the pace slow. car? No. I tell you what, <laughs> let's do the pace I'll,
6: car. The pace car is just fine. I just want to be on the track. I don't need to go 170 well, miles right, per we'll, hour.
0: We'll get our phone and and it's got that app on there where it tells you how fast you're going, and we'll run 120. Yeah, and you can hold your phone and and you'll you'll realize, man, right. this ain't nothing. This is slow.
6: So let me ask you a question. I know I'm here and you guys are supposed to ask the questions, but do you miss it? I know you still you're like semi retired, a- but you know as a as a football player.
0: I mean, you only have so much time. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, that's definitely in 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 my notes to talk to you about because I know that you haven't officially claimed to be retired. Like you Holy still want to play.
6: Who are you, Barbara Walters? Well, like, is that true? How did you? Where did you find this information? Where did you dig this up?
0: Well, I mean, you. We don't remember a press conference.
6: <laughs> wow. So, so, so the question is what?
0: So I guess I miss it bad. Right. And my problem is that when I first retired, I didn't. Right, I was busy. I was going into broadcasting. That was exciting. I had a lot of – I'm like – was, everybody was like, hey, you got to retire to something. Not right. retiring from racing. You're retiring to right. broadcasting. I'm like, okay, I got that. That's a good frame of mind. And, but the further removed from driving, the worse it's getting. Like right. I am – and I don't know what that means. With, right. Some of that is good to have when you're broadcasting, having that – Missing it some, uh-huh. the you know the passion comes out yeah. and liking what you're seeing, yep, wanting to be out there, and so it's getting it's getting worse. And right. I don't know what to do about that. For me,
6: what I mean, well, yes, I haven't officially retired. Uh, I need to put my paperwork in, be so I can get my benefits. <laughs> 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 there's, there's some severance out there, a couple hundred thousand severance I could use right now. You know, making some huge investments. Um, I don't miss football. I don't I don't miss, you know, running 21 miles per hour, 30 yards downfield and having a hit on collision with another guy or going across the middle getting smacked. Uh, you know, I actually, you know, watch these games now and, and, and look at it and say, I don't know how the hell I did that. Right. Right. That's when you know it's over because all my life it's been tough and you know uh, contact and violence uh, but now it's like I cringe watching these games I'm like oh this is brutal what I do miss is the competition mm-hmm. I miss the chase I miss you know setting goals before the year and saying you know all right I want 1500 yards uh, 100 catches 15 touchdowns and being able to check it off check it off check it off and also seeing that I'm off track halfway through the year and adjusting, saying, okay, well, it's not 1,500 yards this year, but can I hit 1,250, right? And I think that's what I miss. I also miss um, uh, legacy. You know, uh, for me, one of my goals was to retire as one of the best to ever do it, and I was so close. And, 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 and my last year in New York, I snapped my ankle. And, I mean, I was two decent years, and I'm, ta- I'm not even talking about good. I'm talking about decent years away from retiring top five in almost everything, right? Um, so that's what I miss, um, but I'm fulfilled now in other things, in business and life, um, absolutely having a great time. Um, but I did that my entire life. I mean, six years old, I was playing organized
0: ball. Yeah, that that helps because that helps me understand. So I I tell Mike it's kind of like, That, you know, when you were a teenager and that girlfriend that you broke up with and then you miss her and you get back with her and you're like reminded by all the reasons why you (laughs) broke up with her, right? (laughs) Right. So like racing, I forget all the things that I didn't really enjoy about it, all the things that were hard. I watch guys as a broadcaster crash and go, man, I don't want nothing to do with that. I'm glad I'm not dealing with that or having to worry about that. We had a race at uh, uh, Indy a couple, just like two years ago where a couple guys hit really, really hard and I'm like that the possibility of me being in a car and that happening is i can't you can't do that
6: but isn't that everything right like you have to have that you know um to be able to compete yeah because isn't that what made you great for 24 years having the, the, the just like you know what that like you know what i'm going for it yeah you know you can't be thinking out there you got to just go mm-hmm. and that's the, that's what separates the good from the great is having that in you where it's like you know what I'm gone and you're not thinking and people ask you like, well, how the hell did you do that? Do you remember this? Happen-? I don't remember.
0: Yeah. You know, it just happened. I know. So I th- we always say, say in racing, like when a guy's really fast, if he's got like raw speed, uh, you put him in anything and he's just quick you yep. can't explain it. Um, we we say it's because he's not hit nothing hard. Yeah,
1: yet. he hadn't hit the wall yet. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, once he
0: hits something hard, he'll start thinking well, a little bit more well, about what <laughs> wow. what he's doing. We I mean, think
1: of the psychology involved. Once yeah. you hit it, once you feel it,
0: once like you going, start, going across the hit? middle, right? If you go across, you're like fearless, and then yeah. one guy cleans you out. You you think about you know that, don't you?
6: Well, so I think like there's something in. You know, athletes, and I consider you guys athletes, and that's going to be a debate with Channing Crowder sure. tonight, okay? I know. I yeah, saw he doesn't the Bubba think Wallace. you guys are athletes. Yeah, so, right, right, Well, this is
0: why – so I watched the – not to interrupt you. No, it, go I, ahead. I train of thought here, but um, I watched the Bubba episode and saw that, and I thought – and then when um, my, my my gang was like, man, they, wanna, uh, they might want to get you on that show. I was like, well, I want to take them for rides first. First, oh, uh, that's why. That's, oh, that's the why. only
6: reason. <laughs> so yeah, all right.
0: Make sure you hit two hundred. That's for, the reason uh, why Channing. we're going around the racetrack because <laughs> right. I want to see. And if oh, he, very if, strategic. Uh, not to change his mind, but I just want to see what he thinks afterwards. Right. Right.
6: right. Absolutely. Yeah, it should be fun. That's going to be good. There's
1: a physical toll that it takes on a body different than what you guys would experience, but nonetheless a physical toll that we're just we're eager to hear what your reaction to that right. is yeah. and and compare notes. But I got to ask you a question though. All that stuff you said about missing football, um, is there a reason why you have not filed those paperwork yet? I mean, is there, are, are you hanging well, on to a with, little glimmer?
6: With, well, what ended up happening uh, was there was a few teams that called like a year and a half ago. Okay. And so I was working out behind the scenes because I was going to make a little transition to tight end. Um, and then the pandemic hit and, you know, pivoting with my company, my business mm-hmm. just did not have had time to really sit down and do it uh i'll I'll probably do that um soon okay Okay. yeah that was but let me go back to the last thing because like you know i never finished that thought and i and and i because i want to hear y'all perspective on this but as an athlete because you talked about going across the middle and getting hit and now that changes like well he hasn't been hit hard yet Mm -hmm. well i feel like there's some guys out there you know where some of the greats you've never seen really take big hits right like going across the middle as a wide receiver. You know you, Troy, Paula, Ed Reed coming. You know where they're at, right? So you, you, you just have this vision of where everybody is on the field, right? So for me, you got to have the toughness and the willingness to take that hit because you will take some, mm. but it's not as much. It's not as many, you know, because mm. the guys are so savvy. Uh, they have – The vision and you know, they have the understanding too, like they see it before it's already happening, like this is cover three, you know, this guy's going to drop here. I got a 20-yard end cut. I see him pushing, so here's my hole. So I'm going to throttle in this hole just for a second to give my quarterback a, a window, and that's when I'm going to go.
1: <laughs> it, I, I could just listen yeah. to this all day, right? I know it. Let's, yeah. just, let's talk schemes now, all right?
6: Right. Yeah, cover but, three. But, <laughs> I, but I feel like it's the same, I, I feel, and that's what I'm eager to learn. I feel like it's the same, you know, uh, in, in NASCAR, right? Like I'm wondering, like, there's some guys that, you know, damn Kyle Larson. Like, Cal Larson his ass being 9 ten and all of a sudden boom he's been first like and then there's some guys that just stick right there 12 13 yeah. 14 is like make your move yeah go <laughs> yeah. and I'm like
0: why <laughs> why like what are you like yeah. what's the strategy here it's hard man it's hard to tell is it that yeah. hard are you serious it's, it's- uh, well, look, I think that one of the components in, in racing is the car, right? The car, the motors. and the, Like, the car's got to be good. It's got to handle good. Right. you got to have a good setup underneath it. If that isn't working, that's a problem. If the motor's not as good as this guy's motor, like, the, you know, the guy in front of you might have 10 more horsepower or 30 more horsepower, right? right? And that's hard to overcome. you got a bunch of different variables. Wow. And I don't know if – does that happen in the NFL? That's kind of interesting. Is, is Is there equipment – I know that, you know, well, guys. yeah, your
6: equipment is your damn body.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Like so you're tuning yourself aren't. physically right, right. to be better than that guy, to help you have that advantage. Yep. Kind of similar. What's interesting is uh, um, we
6: compare ourselves to cars. Yeah. Right? So, like, NASCAR drivers. Like, you know, our, our athletic trainers, physical therapists will come in beginning of the season and say, okay, here's a difference. Like, you know, it comes down to inches, when you talk about what you guys do, Um, and for us as athletes, sometimes we just go, go, go on the physical stuff. We don't hone in on nutrition. We don't hone in on sleep. We don't hone in on recovery, and that is the difference, right? Like, we're talking about, you know, if there's a a loose bolt, that could be the difference between winning and losing for you guys and control, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, it it is interesting, you know, and I think that's where guys get edges, but the guys who, there's a lot of guys that can run fast, jump really high and ball, but you got to put it all together, you know, and that's not just on the field, but it's also off the field, right? So, you know, I, I think that the the drivers who do a phenomenal job, the guys that, you know, are super successful are the guys that have both, and I compare it to, to football players as well. Like, you, yeah, you got to have a fast car. Obviously, that's so so much for me to learn as well. That's why I'm interested in the sport. Um, is the business behind it is it's like man, like yeah, like you said, thirty more horsepower. That's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But you also gotta have that it factor as well, and be and, and be a little fearless to, to go when you need to go.
0: Yeah. So um, you talk about transitioning to tight end or thinking about doing that. Well, I, I was. You were. I know. Yeah, I were. So I was thinking about that in my mind. You notice I'm wearing this this mm-hmm. Washington football team shirt, and we don't have many tight ends on the roster right now. <laughs> um what so and and in, in in reading about you he's put he's pitching you. In reading about you, you know, people had you ta- they talk about you like you're a tight end playing wide receiver. Right. That's how they would they would they would describe you. And uh so what would what, what does that entail for you? We see people you know change positions. Right. What would you have to do to what would you physically need to do? How do you put the pound on? Nothing. Like, you don't have to put on weight. No, no, to Because I mean, I'm do
6: already like I. I mean, I'm you're there 245 right now. So you're there. Yeah, I walked around the offseason at 245 and trained at 245 and would just drop down to 230 or 235 in season. And I've always played the game that way. Like that's what you know was cool about you know my experience in NFL is. You know, I'm this big dude playing wide receiver, doing what those little dudes do. Yeah. Um and, and nowadays it's a little different. Like if you asked me this question fifteen years ago, you know, the tight ends, what we asked the tight ends to do, you had to go hit. Yes. So that's like it would have been different there. Now they're But these tight pack, ends nowadays, yeah. they're they're glorified wide receivers. Yeah. Like you just gotta be able to chip a little bit, mm-hmm. hold up, you know, uh, you know, do a little bit of double teaming. Um but they're not asking you to do a lot in the run game. Right. They're not what? asking George Kittle or or Travis Kelsey to do a lot in the run game. Mm. So
0: what's so how, George Kittle is actually a dog in the run game. How but. how is the how much of a lure is that for you to know that man I could go play tight end and extend my playing days if you had right. you know if you had if you had that fire or passion to do it. Most players they the game they either get injured or they you know or they age out. Race car drivers, same thing. You age out, you get injured. Right. Younger guys coming in and taking your spot. Right. But if you – you literally have an opportunity, a rare opportunity, to extend your career by changing positions. And right. Some guys – did how big a lure was that?
6: Uh, well, it was never a lure because it was always a part of my plan from the beginning. You know, early on in my career, I, I, I looked at, you know, who I was as a football player and realized that my number one asset was my strength. And a lot of guys – um, age out or get kicked out the game because they lose their speed at the wide receiver position. Well, my game has never been built on speed. It was always, you know, my physicality and my my size. I'm 6'5", 235 pounds in a, in, a, in a season playing wide receiver. If you look at my my film and my highlights, I was never open. You know, there was always somebody <laughs> on me. I just out-muscled them and out uh. physical them. And, and when I got the ball in my hands, it was just night-night. Right. So I looked at that. And then I also looked at, you know, the corners like uh, Charles Woodson's of the of the, uh, of the uh, you know, of, of, of football that went from corner to safety. And I said, wow, that could be the evolution of for me is go from wide receiver to tight end. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is a guy who pretty much did that. Like, look mm. at Larry Fitzgerald. You know, he's older than I am, but he was in a phenomenal situation where they pretty much made you know moved him to a tight end position that's that's what I would be playing yeah. and I thought that was going to happen and you know when I went to Seattle that was the that was the goal you know when they brought me in you know that's all we watched was Larry Fitzgerald's film it's like perfect I'll play another five years like this because I'm gonna be going against nickels. I'm gonna be going against linebackers and safeties and then we had a receiver go down mm. and I had to, I was thrust back into that x position at the wide receiver and I it just didn't work out. And I was cut, you know, five months later, I think it was like week ten or something. Yeah. Right. But we we never got to that. Yeah. And
1: then after that, you know,
6: the NFL was like, I was done.
1: But you're somewhat unique, I think. I want to ask your perspective on right. this, and that you actually have things in place, businesses, obviously your TV career. Right. You started doing that as you were still playing, correct? Yep. So you're somewhat unique in that you were an athlete that had the forethought to go ahead and start planning life after football. Yep. And we've had a lot of, you know, old race car drivers, you know, other athletes that, that sort of lacked their identity. Once, once their playing career, whatever the sport was, is over. That when they lost that identity, they didn't know what to do with themselves. Right. They felt like a bull put out the pasture. Yeah, 100%. How did, how did you – I'm curious about your approach to that, and also what is your observations on athletes in general – yeah, when they are forced to face retirement or their their playing careers are done. Right. Well, I love chess. Big uh, uh, chess
6: player. I play probably like five games a week, and um, absolutely love it. And so in chess, you know, the people who are, are are really good are the ones that you know are playing five to ten moves out. And early on in my career. You know, we hear about the numbers, the statistics and, you know, guys making that transition and how they struggle. So what I end up doing early in my career and I was a big reader, I'm still I'm a big reader, uh, but read some books and just thinking about just transitioning and, and, and just business. Uh, I was like, damn, there's so many guys struggling in that moment that just that period of leaving the game, game being taken away from them to what's next. Uh, and I didn't want to do that. So what I ended up doing is uh, doing a case, so spending three months with Harvard doing a case study on athletes in transition, but did well with their platform. So in 2014 is when I put the plan in place. Mm. So everything that I'm doing now is pretty much damn near orchestrated. <laughs> yeah, you know. And, and I spent time with Professor Anita Elberse's class. And the reason why I jumped in TV, like I don't really like TV. Okay. You no, know, I rather be behind the scenes and. You know, I'm here with my buddy Alicia and Anthony from Jersey Filmmakers. I'd rather do what the hell they're doing, but what I realized was for for me to build House of Athlete, for me to build, help build I Am Athlete. Um, I need to be in front. You know, I, Magic Johnson was somebody we studied, mm. and I was like, Why is Magic John? He's worth a half a billion dollars. Why is he traveling around on ESPN <laughs> talking basketball? Mm-hmm. Right. And he's probably making two million dollars. Maybe they overpaid him a little bit and gave him three million dollars. Who knows? But he's doing that once or twice a week. And so that was my mom. Was like, all right, well, that's what I'm going to do. So what I end up doing, I put this thing together called a tour. So every Austin, I said, until I retire, I'm going to go on tour. I'm hit all the networks. I get my reps. I meet all the producers. And when I when it's time for me to make that transition. You know, I'll already be ready. I'll have the reps. I'll be prepared, and I'll have the relationships. The first week out, I went to ESPN Bristol. Then I went out to LA, start doing some, so, you know, lifestyle stuff with like e entertainment and all that other stuff. And Josh Pyatt from WME <laughs> yeah. called me, and all these agents start calling me. I didn't even know you needed a broadcasting agent. I thought my football agent was going to be the one that you know, did my deals. So Josh Pyatt calls me. And he's like, hey, I think you're brilliant. Love you. I'm like, who are you? He told me. I was like, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't, and, then, and then a couple weeks later, he was like, hey, dude, what would you think about going on inside the NFL Showtime? And I said, that would be phenomenal. But I live in Chicago. He said, we'll figure it out. Uh, and that's how I end up doing it, and I and I just couldn't pass on that deal. But Josh is the one who pioneered this whole, you know, inside the NFL and fast tracked, you know, my my my
3: broadcasting career. You still working with Josh? Yeah, I still, he's a good yeah, dude. He's a great dude. Yeah. Uh, yep. You said
0: you you weren't really striving to go to TV, but it's a great op. It's a great outlet for you to to use as a vehicle. But you have to be critical, or you have to say it like it is. Pe- right. People, the viewer knows when you're when you're being going easy on somebody. So how do you do that? You have played against some, you play against some of these guys yeah. that you have to go out there and be critical about. I kind of struggle with that. Yep. How to you know because they're going they text you the next week, yeah. call you up, <laughs> <laughs> Their mom calls you, their girlfriend calls you, right. or they tweet about you. Um, and so how do, you, how do you manage that? Like, yeah. you know, being honest about somebody making a mistake on the field or, or not right. playing, uh, not, do, not doing, doing their well, job.
6: And that's interesting. When you sit down with networks as an athlete in transition, that's the first thing they ask you is, are you willing to go there? That's the very – everyone asks me that question. For me, one, I'm already outspoken. But what I realized is we've been there before. We understand it. We get it. So we can speak to it. And we also can keep it real, but it got to start with you. So what I always like to do is, is first start with me. Say a guy, you know, uh, who may be struggling off the field. You know, I may say, you know, look, I've been there before. You know, I know what this feels like. But then I'll, And then I'll transition yeah. into my point, you know. So I'll validate, you know, the situation and, and, and actually dive into it, you know, put myself in, those, in his shoes. And then I'll go into my critique or... Crushing them.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay,
6: because after a while, it's like if you got a guy you know who's struggling, and it's like, you know what? I've been there before, but it's been five years. It's been five yeah, years, and yeah, you're yeah, making yeah. the same mistakes. Yeah. Something has to give. Like we have to, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and figure it out. So I, I think the art of it is really uh, throwing yourselves in them sh- in their shoes, and then all the body language. But that's all TV stuff.
1: <laughs> that's interesting. Man. Let me give you an example. Let me, Jay Cutler. Right is the criticism that you you played with him for two different teams, Denver and Chicago, correct? Yep. Is the criticism that Jay Cutler gets, is that fair or unfair?
6: Uh, I think it's fair. It's fair? Yeah, it's fair. I mean, because Jay – but that's what comes with it. Jay doesn't care, right? And and I think that we all should – Embrace that. (laughs) Oh, he doesn't care about the criticism. No, he doesn't care what you think. So, like, you know, he's going to be sitting on the sideline. No, he has five, six cameras on him, and he's going to be dog-cursing somebody. He's going to be – when everybody else, a Peyton Manning of the world, you know, even Tom Brady, we see them – you know, have their moments, but they're aware of that stuff, and they make sure, like, okay, I know there's six cameras on me right now. Let me make sure I'm I'm, I'm protecting this, I'm doing that. Jay doesn't care, right? <laughs> so when, when you don't care, that criticism, you got to accept that yeah. and what comes with it, you know, because, you know, they put this box around us players, quarterbacks, and they say this is how you're supposed to operate and act. Now, if you step outside – because you know what that is. Now, when you step outside of that box – you got to know what's – you got to be prepared uh, for what's coming with that. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, and I mean, Jay, Jay's fun, Jay uh, is one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. I mean, you talk about Noah, he gets it. High football IQ. Mm. Super, super smart. Brilliant. And it's not even in football. I've learned so many things about Jay. Like, even how I started raising my kids and routine and childhood. Re- like, I learned that from Jay. Mm. Nutrition. I, I learned that from Dr- Jay. Jay was the first that came in. You know, and I'm like, bro, what are you eating? And he started explaining to me these things. I've learned so much. You know, read books. Um, you know, and then on the field, he can make every single throw on on the field. You know, brilliant talent. And I think what happened with with him is uh, is how things started off or ended in in Denver. You know, we had the number one offense um, in 2009, and uh, it and then playoff times. Drew Drew Brees end up. You know, taking our spot. They won the Super Bowl that year. We slipped to two. But we were phenomenal young guys. The team fires Coach Shanahan. Remember that? So Coach Shanahan's fired. Insert Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels come in, the very first thing he did is threw up all of our highlights. Offensively, he said, you guys think y'all tough and bad? No, you guys aren't great. We're like, we're statistically, you know, we are. And, like, what we were doing last year, you know, we're pretty good. And he just <laughs> crushed all of us, crushed all of us. And he tried to trade for Matt Castle. And then Jay, when he did that, they, they had the one conversation. Jay said, I don't want to be here. You know, trade me. And, and I think from that moment on is where mm. Jay's career – got off track. But if he would have stayed in Denver, I truly believe we would have won multiple Super Bowls. Mm. And uh, the story around Jay Cutler would have been different. Yeah.
0: You end up going to play with him again at Chicago. Right. What? It, so you, since you think so highly of him, that had to have been a pretty – was that – do you orchestrate that yep. opportunity to get there?
6: Yeah. So uh, 2011, I believe it was, I'm watching like Thursday Night Football or something, and he's just getting crushed. I mean, absolutely just getting crushed, had no offensive line. He was in Mike Mart's offense and they're asking him to take seven step drops with no offensive line. He's getting smashed. And so I called him and I was like, Man, bro, just keep your head up, man. I, I you know, and I haven't and we our relationship, we we were still friends, but we weren't talking like we were in Denver. Mm-hmm. I just called him out of the blue and just wanted to show him love. Like, bro, I you know, just keep going, man. Like I see what you're going through. And then we just started this conversation and uh he was like yeah, man, I need an ex-receiver. And I was like, oh, that's cool. He's like, you. I was like, all (laughs) right, uh, well, let's talk about it after the year. You know, I'm down here. Miami just signed this big deal. And he's like, no, we need to talk about it now. Mm. (laughs) Right? So um, we started talking about it. And I said, let's just let things play out. And, and, you know, I'm one. I will go up to to the owner or the general manager and ask for a trade if I'm that happy or something like that, if I think, you know, it's not a great spot. But in this situation, I said, you know what, I'm going to let God, like, just – you know, put me where I'm supposed to be, and um, you know that offseason I get a call from my agent, Kenard McGuire, the football agent, Kenard McGuire, who didn't do my broadcasting deal, by the way, um, <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, the the Miami Dolphins want to trade you. There's a couple teams out there, but the Chicago Bears want want you, and this is going to go down." And he, and I was like, "Oh wow!" So Jay Cutler went to the team, and they they well they asked Jay, "What did they what did what do you need?" Jay said, "I need an X-Y receiver." And they said, okay, we'll go get your ex. Look about all these guys in the draft and, and these guys coming up in free agency. They said, no, Brandon Marshall is my ex, right? And they made the deal Dang. because Jay stood on the table. And we put the band together. We went and got a couple more guys that was with us in Denver. Mm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I've always kind of wanted to meet Jay. Um, you should have him on the show. You would love him. Yeah. You know what we we need to do? I talked to Jay during the pandemic because we haven't talked for – because in, in, in Chicago, things ended bad. And then we started talking and reconciling uh, during a pandemic. Oh, okay. And then he went cold on me again. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> you should. We should reunite on your show. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Can yeah. you get it done?
0: I, I might be able to. <laughs>
6: Working trying. on it right now. We'll have hey, to work
0: together.
1: You but, think we can have him by the end of the show, guys? Anything? <laughs> <laughs> call.
6: Um, but no, you'll love Jay. He'll be a phenomenal guest yeah. on your show.
0: Um, he's 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 funny. This is something I've always wanted to add, talk to a a football guy about, uh, this is kind of, so I'm, I'm a mechanic in my mind with, you know, so I think about cars and how they work and how to make them faster. And I think about things outside of racing the same way. Um, so as I've, I've been a fan of football and watching football since the early eighties. And it seems like to me, I could be wrong, but it seems like to me that the injury rate has ramped up Ooh. Uh, particularly with, like, knee injuries and so forth, guys in your position. But And I go in my head, and I think, all right, so – and you can tell me how awful wrong this is. Right. But I go thinking in my head, like, the length of the cleats, mm. right? So – and the, the artificial turf and some of the – like, I'm being a Washington fan, I know right. all about yep. the turf and yep. how, how good and bad it can be at that field. But uh, the, the length of the cleats – so we – adjust our cars and put them on the edge, right, of, of we want to push them all the way to the edge but yeah. not spin out and crash. Right. Are you guys pushing the cleats, the, the equipment, just same way, right? You're yeah. trying to get everything advantage-wise you can out of the cleat because it can right. improve speed, grip, turn, cutting, and all that. But you also have to be careful of how much of a risk you put yourself at, your knee at, or your body at. Right? Is yeah. there anything? Is that true? That is that is
6: very true. It's, it's it's interesting and it's actually a a, a hot topic right now that really? nobody's really talking about or are covering the right way. And we can get to it later. But there's a lot of teams opting out right now of off season workout workouts and their the conversations around COVID, but but it really is around mm. injuries yeah. Yeah. because last year was the first year where we saw that injury rate drop, so that the the what we learned last year was you don't need an off season for one the guys are overworked, okay mm-hmm. you don't need an off season to prepare for a season so now it's this whole positioning play and this whole p- play of power to figure out how do we eliminate this wear and tear on our guy's body in the off season um so that's that, but when you talk about the cleats, there's so much to it because you have. You have grass, you have turf, you have slow turf, fast turf. So then you got to look at the cleats. You have screw-ins. Screw-ins is literally that, like at the bottom of your mm-hmm. cleats, and you have different sizes. Right. You know, you can you go to the guy, and usually you wear those on grass and bad weather. But some guys, you know, everybody has their own preference. And you go before the before the game, you go to your equipment manager, and you can start screwing stuff off and tweaking stuff. But then you also have molds, okay? Okay. Um, you know, and then you got to figure out when do you, when do you wear those cleats? You know, uh, and, and what turf, what, what what grass do you wear those? Um, so I was a guy that always pushed the limits. Um, you know, I used to cut things off of my cleats. Um, I used to wear like soccer cleats for more speed. Um, and understanding that I'm, I'm losing, I would lose traction at the top of my routes when I need to decelerate. Yeah. So I would actually change how I would decelerate because I wanted more speed, right? Um, and also my shoulder pads. I knew I wasn't, I was never a guy that would run into somebody intentionally and hit. I think that's one of the reasons why I played so long is because I'm like, yeah, I'm a big guy, but I makes no sense for me to just run right into yeah. you. I'm going to try to run around you. I'm going to try to push you out the way. Uh, so like my shoulder pads, I had no protection in my yeah. shoulder pads because I never took hits. I never did that. So I would cut out all the equipment there. And I wore the same (laughs) shoulder pads. Like, I took my college shoulder pads. I wore them in in, in the NFL and all this new equipment and – and and how they innovated this stuff, like I was like, no, I, the same thing, same thing with my my helmet a little bit, and then they forced us to change things. So I was always a guy that like cut, like I give me, I didn't want any pants, yeah. no
0: pads in my pants. If you look at uh, if you look at video of like uh, pick any game from the '80s, like everybody's got all the knee pads in, Their yeah. pants go down past the knee, the big thick. Pads right at the thigh, and nobody's wearing none of that stuff anymore. Well, yeah,
6: nowadays they're making us, like, and it's so interesting you say that, because now they're making us wear pads again and put the pants over your knees. And so what guys are doing now is you'll have this, you'll have, let's say, a thigh pad, okay? Yeah. And it's just all this cushion. So what we start doing is cutting the cushion, taking the cushion off, and now you just have this little thin, little plastic plate. It's not much protection, but... Hey, it gets the job done, checks the box, I have my thigh pads on. <laughs> you know, guys didn't want to wear that. Yeah. Guys don't want to cover up their knees.
0: Mm. How come? Just because of the speed?
6: Yeah, uh, well, for, for a lot of reasons. Speed, um, you know, feeling, feeling good and comfortable. and, and Movement. And, and then there's some guys who just want to look good. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, some guys just want to look
7: good.
0: Like, yeah. right? I used to like, Art. my favorite player was Art Munch. Yeah, and um, he used to cut his sleeves, and man, when he'd run, his sleeves are flying everywhere because yeah. he's cut the bottom of them. So, so you I'm cut like, your sleeves, didn't of you? Of course I cut my
7: sleeves.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do, do you embrace the uh, the way the evolution of the rules has, has, has sort of taken over the NFL and college football, but yep. like targeting, for instance? Right. And I know that we want to ask you a lot about you know the mental health and, mm-hmm. and the repercussions that come with it, but I'm you know, like, as fans, we'll, we'll be like, man, it's gotten too soft. You know, like, you know, the 85 Bears used to decapitate a quarterback. Right, 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 right. right. And so where, where do you net out on that? Like, I
6: love it. Okay. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you got to think about it. I mean, well, we weren't created to, you know, have car collisions, you know, 40, 50 times a game. You know, our brains, they're not built to sustain that. Mm. Uh, so I think there are better ways to do things, and I think the NFL – Uh, has done a a good job over the last 10 years of um, making the game safer. And I know there's this huge debate between the old guys and the new guys, who's tougher, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, man, none of that stuff matters. The hell with that. Mm. You know, I I care about where you're going to be 20 years after the game. You know, yes, take the hit out of the game. So is it still a violent sport? Absolutely. But is it safer?
1: Yes. That's good. Well, that's good, because I imagine you know people that are probably dealing with the consequences of a very physical sport, you know playing it their whole life. I would yeah. imagine that's the case. I know we've just in your concussion experience, Dale, you've come across other athletes i mean you know you Dale can tell you more about this, but obviously the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center is where yeah. you were receiving treatment mm-hmm. from concussions, and man hockey players right. Football players, they were all up there. That's right. And man, they're 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 dealing with this for the rest of their life. That's right. They're in for the hall, That's you know. Right. So well,
6: well I, it depends. I mean, every case is different, mm-hmm. and I think that you have to be proactive and you have to do what Dale did, right? Like there, you can thrive, and you you should be able to survive most cases um, if you're doing the right things. Mm. Everything matters. How you train. You know, a lot of times, you know, well, why are these guys unhealthy? Why are they, you know, making these type of decisions? Well, because their whole lifestyle have changed. And we're talking about they don't have healthy habits anymore. You take a a car that we talk we're talking about just a, a bolt. If a bolt is loose, that could be the difference in winning and, and losing, and, and, and the attention to detail in that process every single day for twenty-four years, or a professional athlete for twenty-something years. How you took care of your body, and then all of a sudden you go to the opposite end of the spectrum, and you don't think you're going to have issues, mm. right? So when when you have these athletes that make these, you know, that's in transition, uh, been retired for years. And now they're, they don't have healthy habits anymore. There, there's a lot that comes with that. So the things that I always say, and, and it, these are the five pillars I live by, you know, continue to train. Continue to fuel correctly. What does that mean? Well, I, well, we should be getting our macros and micros through food, but you, it's hard. So make sure you know how to supplement. Continue to supplement. Mental fitness is the third pillar. Well, what does that mean? Well, it could be any end of the spectrum. You know, how do you deal with anxiety? How do you deal with depression? That stuff is real. It doesn't only affect athletes. It affects affects everyone. But we don't understand how to seek help. Uh, especially men we don't want to talk about it you know we don't want to identify with that uh, and then on the other end it's just like you know i just want to be better i want to take i want to go to a whole nother level so meditation or being able to say you know what i want to i want to reach peak performance again so what can i do to get more out of my body and my brain the fourth thing is recover well hell if you're not sleeping right how the hell are you going to recover you know so there bad backs, bad knees and and, and, and ankles. Well, you're a professional athlete for so long and when you had an injury, you took care of yourself. And you know how that feels when your body doesn't feel right. You know what that does to you mentally. Now all of a sudden you're retired and you're not going to fix that bum back or you're not going to go work on that shoulder. So you got to continue that. And then the last thing is tribe. A lot of our guys live in isolation. They don't have people around them. They don't have they don't have a team, right? And that's important. Look at this. I'm here in this freaking city, JR Motorsports, <laughs> and look at this team. None of us made it to the top without a team, and now all of a sudden you don't have a team. We we're all meant to do this. Like this is your locker room. You know, a lot of guys don't have this. Right. You know.
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100 um, on, especially on the exercise. Like after my career, uh, when I when I was going through the concussions, a lot of the things that I did to to rehab that were simple exercise. And I'm thinking, man, this is, how's this going to fix my head? You know, and, uh, but it, it made a profound difference in how I felt, uh, emotionally, mentally, anxiety, all those things. And so I know, I notice, and, and you as an athlete, so to get that last 5%, that elite go from, Mm -hmm. go from good to great, you know, you got to work really hard to find that little bit. And we would sustain that as, when we had a job, you know, to do. Right. When we're racing or playing football, we sustain that working mm-hmm. hard and doing all the things we do. But then, when you don't, when you retire and you're not do racing anymore, not playing football anymore, and you you lose that little five percent because you don't train anymore, you don't exercise right. anymore, you 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 do start to descend, right? That's right. And I've noticed it, like having you know, my last year was 2017. And in 2017, I rode my bike 2,400 miles. Wow. Yeah, I on the road, highway. And, uh, and I've had years since then that I've not rode a mile. Wow. And I can feel, I feel less, you yeah. know, mentally sharp, uh, less emotionally, ha- you know, happiness. There's mm-hmm. less happiness emotionally sustained, you yeah. know, throughout, throughout the year. I, I,
6: man, that's everything. For me, it's weekly. Like, if I'm not training, I feel it right away. Yeah. You know, so I time block it. And 10 to 12 is my personal time, is when I'm working out. Um, This year, you know, it wasn't up until a month ago where I got back on track. But I started off this year going back to December, actually, where, you know, things got off track for me. And I went a couple of months, and I really wasn't training. You know, hit with covid uh, businesses is, is is taking off. A little overwhelmed there with so much going on there, and then also uh, uh, hurt my back, so I wasn't working out, and I felt like trash. Yeah, you know, you gotta, you have to schedule. And I think the the tough thing for us athletes, like, it, it, you know, in transition or retired, is our entire life we had an itinerary. We always mm. had someone telling us what to do. Well, when you're done, you have to make that itinerary. You know, even in business, like I I had to time block when to check emails and I'm still horrible at it, to be honest with you. But at least I have it marked down and I may get through half of them. But before I was like, this is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. No, there wasn't a Pete Carroll. There wasn't a coach Mike Shanahan telling me do this at this time that like I had to create that. And I'm still in process of creating what that itinerary is as far as priorities and what makes sense for me
0: and when so I, I've experienced a lot and learned a lot through my uh, concussions, but mental health is a really broad right. you know that's that that's I don't even know where to go with that but yeah. how, one of the things that I was curious about is that we we were talking about this before you came in here um, I'm a firm believer in therapy i've been in, I've been in and out of therapy all my life for various reasons mm-hmm. and uh, believe in the the help that that can provide somebody to be able to sit down and talk to somebody through your problems but a lot of people, I think, don't know they need help. Yep. A lot of people, like, how do you, how does someone know, like, I could probably get some help for this? How do, yeah. where, where do you get in the moment that you wake, you know, you you, you can say, hey, man, I, I think I can I can get this, I can be better here. That's right. right. How do you, how do people get that
6: realization? Well, first, I was that guy. I didn't know I was suffering. I didn't know I was suffering in silence. You know, and it wasn't until I was at McLean Hospital where I was like, like, I've been hurting. and I didn't know it. Um, so I was absolutely that guy. I think it starts with awareness. So a lot of people don't know. So they need to hear your story. They need to hear my story. They need to hear Kevin Love's story. They need to hear Demi Lovato's story. They need to hear Kelly Osborne's story. They need to hear The Rock's story. They need to hear uh, Obama, Michelle Obama's story. They need to hear people's story. And And, and that, to me... You know, that's the most gratifying thing is when I'm out and I'm traveling and people are like, you know what? I heard your story and because of it, I I seeked help. Right. And I also think that the other side to what you what you asked is, you know, you got to have a want to. There's a lot of people that don't want to talk. Like there's a certain way you go through therapy. There's a certain way, you know, um, you seek help. There's a lot of people that's resistant. Mm -hmm. I want to be here. I ain't doing this. No, you got to be open. You got to be vulnerable. You got to say, "I need help." You know, Uh, it's the same with substance abuse, and and I think that's where transformation starts. Is when you say, "I need help."
0: Were you feeling when you started to reach out and get help? How long is that process? How long? How how long? How long before you start to realize that this is a good thing for you? All right. So
6: for me. It, was, it took a couple years because I was pushing back. It was everybody else. It was the world. You know, it was everybody else. I'm pointing the finger, at it, like, it ain't me, it ain't me, it ain't me. Um, and once I got to McLean Hospital, I was there for three months in an outpatient program diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And I was in self-assessment, which is a group therapy where you just literally just you sit in a circle and you talk about what's going on in your life. I was in mentalization therapy. A lot of people diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, thinks black and white, you know, and it teaches you the skills and tools to be able to process and and be able to evaluate. Well, maybe, you know, not just draw conclusions right away and react off of that, which is never good. Uh, Cognitive behavior therapy, dialectical behavior therapy. I was doing one-on-ones with the great Dr. Gunderson. And so uh, I was there for three months in this amazing program. And literally at the halfway point is when I realized, like when I had my first breakthrough, because that's the first time where um, I stopped pointing a finger at everybody Mm. else. And I just said, let me see how I contribute to it. And that's all I did. I just focused on that, whether it was... 20%, 50%, Twenty percent, fifty percent, or seventy five percent? That's all only thing I focused on and my world drastically changed
7: right then and then. <laughs> that's
1: awesome. And that's about two thousand eleven, is that, that right? That was two thousand eleven. What was borderline personality disorder, even though you wouldn't have right. known about it, what was it at its worst for you?
6: Uh <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh I mean it was really the, the first four and a half years of my career. So you were in it, the NFL. it was the it was the yeah, I was in it. I I mean yeah, I mean it was it was that, you know. Um We're talking about everything from the relationships with my family, the relationships with my wife, the relationship with uh, my teammates, Mm. everything. It was like I was living it was a living hell, Mm. you know, Um, you know, it was was absolutely everything. I couldn't control my emotions. I didn't have the skills and tools to be able to self uh, regulate. Um, You know, I was just a ticking time bomb. Who recommended to go to the hospital? So interesting process in the NFL, you have like, you know, we have a, uh, there's a program. Like if you get a DUI or if you, you know, you fail a drug test, they throw you in a substance abuse program. Um, If you get in trouble, you know, they throw you in a program where you got to talk to someone. So for the first four years of my career, um, you know, I was talking to people, but it was always everybody else's. It was always, you know, it was always someone else's fault. And, you know, I remember my fourth year in the league, they reached out to me and said, hey, we want to fly you to Waltham, Massachusetts. So We want you to sit down with Dr. Gunderson. Mm-hmm. Flew out there for two days and, um, you know, we had a conversation and then I just left. Um, nothing left. came of it. I you left. left. I just, he just sat down, talked to me for a day. I was there for two days and then I left uh, a couple years later. Um, traded to the Miami Dolphins. And Ricky Williams um, just launched his 30 for 30 doc. And it was a run, Ricky, run. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, and I'm looking at this guy, and and I was just there, and he premiered it. This dude was in, like, Australia living in a tent. And I remember one part of the video, Dr. Gunderson came up and talking about Ricky Williams and all this. I was like, damn, that's the same guy I talked to. Okay? So you have that picture of Ricky. But then I'm in a locker room with him every day that year, and he's phenomenal. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not the guy that was living in that tent in Australia or whatever it was. Like, this dude left millions of dollars to go yeah. live in a tent, right? <laughs> and I'm like, who is this guy? So that year, 2011, 2011 I mean, I just – it was horrible playing for the Dolphins. And I would walk in and say, wow. I know the coach was going to say something I don't like, but I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm not going to say anything. And then I, I would say exactly what I said I wouldn't. You know, I would do yeah. exactly what I said I wouldn't do. And I was like, holy f- I need help. And um, I went to Ricky. I said, Ricky, do you think I'm bipolar? He said, no, Brandon, I don't think you're bipolar. I just think you say the things that we all want to say and sh- but shouldn't say. <laughs> and I was like, man, tell me about Dr. Gunderson. And he started telling me about Dr. Gunderson. And um, I was like, I'm going to go to that guy. If he helped Ricky Williams, then I'm going to go to that guy. And then I flew out to meet with Dr. Gunderson. Well, I called him first, and he said, well, first, let's talk first. And we had this conversation, and it was awesome. It was like an hour conversation. And then he called me back and said, okay, you can come in the program. That's all right. Great. I didn't know it was a question. He said, yeah, because the reason why I wanted to talk to you, because if you were the same guys, same guy from a couple of years ago, I would have said no, because that guy could I could not help. He said something's different in you now. And that was the vulnerability of mm-hmm. wanting to help. He said where I think I can help you. So that's how I end up. You know, seeking help, but I, I still was hard headed. It was my football agent and my long time assistant, my football agent, Kennard McGuire, and my long time assistant, Kathy Lee, who came in and said, "Brandon, you need help. You should go to this program." Like they really pushed me mm. over the edge.
0: Dang. So, what's um? Like, give me an example of 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 an experience in the program. Right. Like, what 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 type of what type of things are you guys doing? Right. Where you.
6: So the program I was in, um, borderline personality disorder is like an emotional disorder, being able to self-regulate. You know, somebody can walk in his room right now and something happens, and we all see it, we feel it, and someone who may have, uh, you know, may not have borderline personality disorder under control in their life, um, it's going to take them they don't have the skills and tools to be able to self-regulate and to cope with whatever just happened. You guys may be able to get over it in a, you know, in a minute.
7: Mm.
6: You know, for someone, you know, dealing with borderline personality disorder, it could take them an hour. Mm. It could take them 2 days. It could take them 2 weeks.
0: Does this is this every any is this anything no, or just some things? Just some things. Yeah.
6: Just some things, and everybody's case is different. Like borderline personality disorder (BPD) presents itself in over two hundred and sixty-five different ways. Wow! Right, like Ricky Williams. Like Ricky Williams was diagnosed with BPD. I was diagnosed with BPD. Two different stories, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So, how did it look in the program? It, It was like being on a college campus. That's what it was like. You know, I would wake up, you know, every day around seven. Uh, I think get the camps around 8 maybe my first group our session was at like 8:39 and I'd be there till 5 and after that I would go to Reebok's headquarters I was assigned to Reebok at the time and I would train for the season but it, it literally was that I was just jumping around eight to, to different five groups every day? yeah because I was going from mentalization therapy yeah. to uh, dialectical behavior therapy, self-assessment, one-on-one with Dr. Gunderson. So I would literally just be on campus bouncing around. What was interesting is while on campus, though, you know, there was a few times where you know, I'd be walking, and I'll see someone talking to themselves. So like, hey, buddy, how you doing? And they just just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Like, damn. And it, those were reminders. Like, I'm really at a mental institute right now. Mm. I'm at a hospital. Right or I walk into a session and there would be blood seeping through a bandage of uh, someone's arm, you know, from self-harming themselves. You know, you hear the stories of, oh yeah, um, I tried to commit suicide last last night. Um, there was a young lady named Sasha, um, we call her Sasha Bear, um, who completed suicide on campus. Right while I was there, um, so it, it 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 was interesting. And it was probably the most phenomenal experience of my life. Mm. My gosh! Yeah, man.
0: So now you're that. I've all, I was wondering why you were so e- eager to share, so eager to speak about it. I mean, that right there says enough. What do? You, what is your? What is your goal going forward? How? How are you? What? What is your? I know you started um, the House of Athlete. There's a lot of right. components in that in that business. That deal with mental health, you're trying to help those guys understand what that complete package is. It's not just on the field, uh, but what other things are you doing, or, or, or try, how are you trying to help other people?
6: House of Athlete is uh, McLean Hospital to me. Mm. You know, um, when I was at McLean Hospital, those five pillars that I linked into earlier, that's what I was doing. Mm. So the transformation that happened in my life, I was training every day. So when I leave McLean Hospital, I was going to Reebok's headquarters and I was crushing it, right? Um, not everybody has to train every day, just a couple times a week. I also, I was also leaning into my nutrition, mental fitness. Obviously, I was at McLean Hospital, but I also was practicing meditation. I was praying. I was reading. I was doing so many things spiritually there. Uh, the fourth thing was recovery, taking care of my body, you know, sleeping, massage, you know, taking care of, you know, if I had a, you know, hamstring problem, my back was hurting, and then I had my team that was there. I wasn't up there alone. My long-term trainer was there, and then also I had, like, a little crew because I filmed everything that they turned into my family. So I wasn't there by myself. So those five things is the pillars that make up House of Athlete because a lot of times when we have this conversation about mental health, it's so clinical. There's so much stigma around it. When you talk about House of Athlete, And you talk about mental fitness, it's more, you know, welcoming. Yeah. You know, it's not as scary. So at House of Athlete, you know, we focus on the fundamentals of health. You know, there's a thin line between impairment and performance. And and so when you come there, we have – and I think this is how we should approach it, you know, just to be disruptive and and really make it comfortable for everyone – you know, But when you come to House of Athletes, we have mental health professionals on site. On Wednesdays, the, uh, there's no training there. We have some of the top athletes training there now. We have 50 pro athletes training there. We have a couple hundred gym pop members there, youth athletes as well. Wednesdays, there's no damn lifting weights or running on a treadmill. You can come recover. You can take the self-assessment class that we call mental fitness. You can do our mindful mobility class. You can jump in a float pod. Right. And so um, that's what I'm doing now. And, and and I think that's, you know, that's one of the things when I talk I think about legacy in the NFL, that's one of the things that I wanted to do was, you know, make sure that it was mandated that every club had a mental mm. health professional on staff. It wasn't like that back in the day. Mm. You know, they did. They did, they made that move a couple of years ago. And then the biggest thing for me when I was playing in the NFL, instead of me m- meeting with Gail, um, in her room next to the janitor's closet on third floor. When I was playing for the Chicago Bears, um, instead of meeting with her there in her room, I would meet with her in the middle of the train uh, the weight room when guys was there to de- to, to break the stigma. Yeah. Mm. And when I was with the Jets, I would do it in the cafeteria. When I was with the Giants, I would do it in the cafeteria during lunch hours so everybody can see it. So I feel like we need to. Uh, Take our mental health professionals and put them right next to our strength and conditioning coaches. Where we train physically, we should also be developing mentally.
0: All right, it's time for a message from our partner, Valvoline, the original motor oil. Not only were they the first patented motor oil brand, they also had many firsts in the industry of motor oil, like being the first high mileage oil. The first synthetic blend. The first racing oil. And they never stopped innovating. They are constantly reinventing formulas to provide the ultimate protection for every engine on the road today. In fact, every motor oil Valvoline makes has recently been reformulated to provide 40% better wear protection than industry standards. you believe that? I don't believe it. I believe it. Goodness. 40% better. I know it's a lot. It's proven to maximize engine life by fighting the four main causes of engine breakdown. Heat, friction, wear, and deposits. Another reason we love Valvoline, they've been synonymous with some of racing's greats. Cale Yarborough, A.J. Foyt, Mark Martin, and new NASCAR Cup champion Chase Elliott. So do yourself a favor and make sure you choose Valvoline. Head over to valvoline.com original to find the right motor oil for your engine.
1: What is the biggest mistake athletes make when they get into the league? Ooh. Wow. Um, freedom. Uh, So
6: the biggest mistake is what got us there is the routine, you know, and and staying focused, the humility. And then when we have freedom, you know, it's like uh, you you start breaking routine. Hmm. You know, you start doing things you've never done before. And I think that's a huge mistake. You just got to stay focused. Um, Eli Manning, you know, his entire playing career, he did the same thing over and over and over again. And, and, and the reason why I, you know, mentioned him, because like if you go on a road with Eli Manning and, and you're like, Hey, Eli, let's go to this amazing steakhouse where, you know, it's the only time here all year. Oh, I can't break routine. I can't break routine. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it's probably a better answer there, but that's the thing that, that was top of mind
1: for me. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I I mean, I asked that because I'm hearing you talk about house of athlete. Yeah. you're, Is it fair to say you're equipping people? You're equipping people from a mental standpoint approach. It's not just the physical abilities that they the the God given abilities they have. You're equipping them with all the other things that they don't know they need, right? Oh, I don't care about the physical. I
6: tell those guys all the time, like you can watch our show on FS1. It's come out come out tomorrow, and and like I don't, I'm not on the field running routes with guys, and there's some amazing receivers out there, you know. I'm not out there teaching them X's and O's unless they come up to me and ask me. I'm talking to them about their mind and their brain. You know, because life in sport is eighty percent mental, and that's what separates the good from great, or that's what keeps you from walking in your purpose if you're just clogged up up here, right? Mm. So that's the thing that I I I focus on. It's all mental for me. So Mm. would
0: it be fair to say that the house of athlete is that place to get that five percent to go from good to great to from good to elite? That 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 little bit that's hard to find. I would say so. And who can go
6: there? Everybody. It's it's, it's so, uh, you know, what we've we've created is a a place where the top athletes come in and train for their seasons, youth athletes. That's where we started in athletic performance. Youth athletes through college, through pros. um, Over the last two years, we opened it up to the gym pop. Mm -hmm. So we're projecting 1,200 to 2,000 members per facility, and we'll open up globally. We'll open up 19 facilities uh, within the next five years. Wow.
0: How do you handle the frustration I guess of trying to get through to that younger person to help them understand cuz right you know there's they're they're thinking about just blowing up right and just That's getting right. big and and we I, I, we deal with it with our young guys coming in right. to NASCAR and you're like man it, you got to stay focused on this and this is important you better pay attention to this part uh, how do you? Because I was watching you guys at, work at House, house of Athlete and talking to some of these young kids, right. and I can just see, seeing their faces, they're like, "Man, I'm overwhelmed." I don't, right. you know, right. How do you help them sort of realize that that mental part is so critical? Right. Uh, just telling our
6: stories, but at, you know, how I protect myself is knowing that not everyone's going to get it, and some people have to go through the hard yeah. times to get it. Like I was one of those guys where I had to fly, I had to fall flat on my face to get it. And, you know, unfortunately some people don't make it back. And fortunately some people, you know, it's exactly what they need. Right? So as long as you're giving them the information, then you have to be okay with that. And that's that's what I lean. Like I'm giving you the information. Here's what it like I played 13 years in the National Football League, Mm -hmm. six time pro bowler, made a ton of money. You know, I'm doing X, Y, and Z now after. Now you study the greats over here. Look what they're doing. They're doing the same thing. Here's the
1: information. Take it, use it. Obviously, you're equipping them with far bigger implications than what I'm about to ask you, but I've always wondered this. Right. <laughs> Are wide receivers the biggest <laughs> talkers? And, and and if so, what is the psychological warfare going on between a wide receiver and a defensive back when right. they line up at the line of scrimmage? Right. I got to know. <laughs> no, so the biggest <laughs> talkers are
6: uh, defensive backs and and defensive linemen. So like the corners, like the uh, Richard Sherman's of the world, the Jalen Ramsey's of the world. You know the thing that kills me about defensive backs is this: I'll run a route, I'll beat you, defensive back. Clearly, beat you. The quarterback throws a bad ball. And then what do they get up? They do this thing where they they yeah. they, they, they put their arms on their chest and then they, they cross it out like, no, incomplete. It's like, bro, I just whooped your butt. Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? It's just like yeah, yeah. they live out there on an the island. They don't get a lot of attention, so they got to make a lot of noise for people to, you know, pay attention to them. So they're the biggest trash talkers. Defense alignment, they're big, sometimes sloppy guys, okay. And and, and so for them, you know, they they have to make noise because they really think that they're sexy. They think that they're cute. (laughs) They think that they're like position guys. So you'll see them next time. Pay attention to this. Defense alignment linemen, they dress like wide receivers. They dress like defense they, uh, uh, and, and wide receivers. Pay attention. It's like, bro, like you're wearing the cleats. Like you're 300 pounds. I can wear these speed cleats. You need power cleats. Why do you have your towel the way I have my towel? Like you look like Deion Sanders. So those are the biggest trash talkers. And I think that um, the really good wide receivers and defensive backs, it's chess out there. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so it's, uh, you know, I, you know, okay, lining two yards outside of the numbers 80% of the time, I'm doing this and he knows it. Mm. Lining two yards outside the numbers with my left foot up instead of my right foot on the left side of the ball, I am doing this. He knows it. How do I use it to my advantage? Or what is he going to do? You know, third down, third and one, two minute drill. Fringe area, fringe area is 40 yards. You just crossed the 50 yard line, we're in the 40. That's the fringe area, about before we get to the red zone. It's gonna be zero blitz, man Mm -hmm. to man. He's gonna step with his left foot first. So let me go to his right foot. He's gonna be off balance. So like, that's the difference between really good and and, and great wide receivers and defense, Defense defensive backs, like it's a chess match. Like I I had some great battles with uh, Namdi Asimwal, Darrell Revis. Um, Richard Sherman, okay. where it's just get after, just go, go, go. I remember, and I'll, 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 I'll finish this uh, topic with this, is like I was playing for the Jets, and we went up to Foxborough to play the Patriots. When I would line up on the right side and I put my right foot up, the defensive back would turn to a safety and give them, like, hand signals. And I was like, damn, like, what, what's my tail? What's my tail? So I spent the first half – like trying to figure out what's going on because I had this guy in front of me, Logan Ryan. He's good now, okay? Logan was with the Tennessee Titans. Now he's with the the New York Giants. But, uh, Logan, I'm sorry, bro, but you, had, you couldn't be on the field with me. <laughs> but they were double teaming me. And Logan, you know, he had my tail. Bill Belichick gave him my tail, whoever. And so depending on what I was doing with my feet determined how they would double team me in the leverage. So it took a half to figure it out. I got to the locker room, like, holy crap, and this is the best year. This, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in, you know, at the halfway through the best year of my, of my career, so I'm really balling. Halftime, I figured I'm boom. So I started doing the opposite, and I was crushing them. <laughs> 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 and, and so the next time around, because we play the Patriots twice, the next time around I'm like, I go to Coach Bowles, who's now the defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Bucks, phenomenal coach, and I go to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I say, this is it. I got the game plan. Ryan Fitzpatrick, your quarterback now, mm-hmm. Washington, He'll confirm this. I said, all you gotta do is look over, look at the guy over me, and it's gonna tell you what their defense is. When he's on me, on first step, when he's on me, head up, close, within one yard, and the safety's in the middle field, it's three bell. If he's three yards off of me, this is what they're doing. All you gotta do is pay attention to me, and we crushed the Patriots. <laughs> we crushed the Patriots, and, and all he did is looked over me. So it's like chess.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. A, lot, a lot going on that
0: we don't I see. I know that was a lot, right? No, man, perfect. Sorry. the football IQ stuff is awesome because, yeah, yeah. yeah we dig it. There was a, a game in 2009, December, you got 21 receptions. Yeah. So that's a record in the NFL. Yeah. Are you in the middle of that game? Like, is anybody talking to you saying, hey, man, you know, you got, <laughs> you got 15 catches. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are you talking to your QB and going, two more catches? <laughs> are yeah you, you know, i mean right. what's going on cuz i know there's got to be something going on in in the middle of that you don't just end the game and go oh by the way you got 21 catches i did right you know you had to have known through that process that's a lot cuz uh you know i I've, I've i've watched enough football to know that that's right. that's outrageous so you had to have known somewhere in the middle of that game like this is this is a special game well um
6: I love this game, not because of the 21 catches, but because of like performance and being in the zone. Mm -hmm. High performers, um, people study people like you and I, right? Like, how do you get in the zone? Like, CEO, people out in the valley, lead in tech companies, like, how do I get in the zone, (laughs) right? And and, and so they're trying to build uh, applications and build uh, products that can help people get into that zone, which is damn near impossible. But This is a real thing. Before the game, I went to Michael Smith, who was reporting for ESPN at the time. Uh, now he's with Peacock. And um, and I said, this is going to be the greatest game of my life. Mm. And I just took off. I said, I'm telling you now because I want you to report. I want you to know that I said this before, right? And it was all like I, I was crescendoing all ye- all week, like just like I right, tapping in. And what I was focusing on was being locked in on the moment, nothing else. So – I didn't know. I didn't have a clue until the very end. Mm. So the entire game, you know, if you watch that game, I get up, I get hit hard or, you know, I make an amazing catch. I'll just get up, flip the ball to the ref, and I'll just walk back to the the huddle. And um, I was actually... channeling my inner Jay-Z at the time. Jay-Z was just ascending to, like, something different. And I was like, man, it's, like, effortless for Jay-Z, like, how he posed for his pitchers, how he talks, <laughs> the business moves that he's making. And I'm like, that's me in football. Like, I'm a channel that. So that was my swagger on the field that day. And so I'm sitting on the bench. It's, what, maybe at the end of the third quarter or beginning of the fourth quarter. I don't remember. And Kenny McKinley, rest in peace, you know, he actually – uh completed suicide, he shot himself the next year uh terrible story um but Kenny McKinley walks up to me uh sits next to me i'm i'm on my bench- I'm on a bench by myself, just like locked in, and he's just looking at me and on game day, I'm a different person. I'm morph into a different person, I don't know how it is for you, you know race day and uh and so I, it just felt weird I'm like, bro, why the hell are you staring at me like this and he's like, bro, you have. 18 catches. You know you're about to break the record. And I looked at him and said, man, why the hell you ain't telling me this before? Why are you waiting so late? <laughs> so the uh anyways, um, I end up uh there was one catch. I had one catch to go and it came down to our last play. And that was the last that was so I went to 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 Coach McDaniels and Kyle Orange, like, I got one, I need one catch to break this record. Give me the ball. That was the first time I came out of that like that zone. Yeah.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: And uh, <laughs> they was like, all right, we got it. We got it. We got it. So actually, it was third down. So we had two more downs to go. And it was third down, and they call it easy, just a bubble screen. Kyle Orton gets nervous. He dirts the ball. Oh, God. I mean, we're talking about like right here, just yeah. right here, just toss it right <laughs> here. He dirts the ball. So Coach McDaniel was trying to get me the record. And uh, I'm like, Kyle Orton, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and then it's fourth down now. This is it. And I go in a huddle. Kyle's trying to call a play. I said, screw all of that. Keep your eyes on me. Don't worry about where I go. I'm going to get open. I said, I was supposed to run like this 20-yard seam route down the middle of the field and versus cover two, it bends into the middle. I said, don't worry about all that. Just watch me and I'll get open. So I ended up like running, like like ran outside, threw the guy off me, ran a slant, got to the little safe space. He, he, You know, I caught the ball and that's how I broke the record.
0: (laughs) Oh, I knew something like that was going on. <laughs> I mean, in a moment like that, you got to imagine that you're absolutely aware of it. That's pretty funny. Um, I, I, the only other thing that I was wanting to know is is this is something that we deal – so when we talk about the athletes, and this may come up later today, but we talk about racing and being athletes, one of our arguments to help our, our argument is that we lose a lot of weight. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we sweat out probably about eight pounds of water, six to eight pounds wow. of water per race, right? Yep. And I mean, I, I could I, every weekend I could I could drive a race, get out, weigh myself, and and it was gone. Right. Um the temperature in the car and all that being very hot. And I know like that I used to burn I knew how much calories I were I was gonna burn on right. Sunday yep. in the car. I just knew and I could factor that into my you know, the work I was gonna do during the week week and how many calories I was taking in every day and yep. all those things, right? And so I've always wondered what you guys were burning during a game, calorie-wise. Yep. I would go, as a fan of Washington, I would go get a chance and be lucky enough to go to a training camp every once in a while and the, the food that you guys were eating and the amount of calories you guys, right. I mean, it's yeah. astronomical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, It is crazy. <laughs> right. And so what kind of calories are you guys burning just in a four-quarters of a football game? You know what? Uh, similar. Almost the
6: same. And, you know, even when you talk about uh, how much weight loss um, during a a, a race or a practice, it's the same. You know, so we have to weigh in and weigh out before practice and games. Well, more so practice. Uh, Because you have guys, and I was one of those guys, especially when the warm weather um, months, camp, end of July, August, man. Guys are losing 10 pounds in a practice. Wow. You're out there for two hours, similar to you guys, out there for a couple of hours, and boom, just like that. Because if you're not hydrating, perform, you understand what it does, injury goes up, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, 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 it's damn near identical. That's why our athletic trainers and physical therapists, the, our medical staffs always compare us to you guys. Really? They do? Yeah, like, you, you're, like that, that car, that's us. That's how we yeah. that's how we look at it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because a lot of people don't look at it, you know, your body is a machine. Mm-hmm. You gotta understand those things. Yeah. A lot of these young players, um, or even players in general, they don't approach it that way. You know, they're not eating what they're supposed to like you're talking about. Oh, I was carving up, I was eating this and that. A lot of guys weren't doing that years ago. So that's why we always compare ourselves to you guys is because you know, that's why I always go back to that bolt, like something that simple could be the difference in winning and losing, right? Mm-hmm. And so something as simple as, you know, hey, on Friday night is when you should probably carb up because those carbs are – good carbs are going to be released on Sunday when it's, mm-hmm. when you really need them. A lot of guys think, oh, the day of the game is when I'm going to carb up. No, you need to be carbing up days
0: before.
7: Right. Right?
0: So help me understand there's the – going to – there's adding that additional yep. regular season game. And to mm. the to to the every man or the layman, that sounds like what's well, another game, right? right? Help! Help! There is there's more to it than that. So, what is the more to it? Why is that such a difficult uh, addition to a, to the regular season as they extend it one game? Why is that one game such a such such a tough deal for the players? For the
6: players, okay. All right, I put it this way: keep it short and sweet. Week eight, week nine of the season. You're walking in the locker room, and literally guys are going to be using tape to put their like keep their arms up oh, or their legs together to go out mm, to practice. Mm. I'm talking about brutal guys. I mean, we're getting away from it now. Taking tordals, getting shots to go to practice. You know, it's it's a violent sport. It's hard. You know, injury rate 100%. Yeah, that's 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 why because towards the end of the season you're running off adrenaline. Really. Does that make sense
0: yeah, absolutely
6: like I, and I, and i I never forget this is when I knew it was over because it was the first time I realized this is when I snapped my ankle plan for the giants. I remember seeing Damon's uh snack Harrison big snacks before practice like he had a knee, knee injury, elbow injury, and literally it's just like tape 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 tape, and he's limping out there limping out there I'm like,
1: you're now about to go out there and mm. practice for two hours, so it's dangerous, yeah, so Brandon. I believe you are Hall of Fame eligible in 2023. Hmm. Unless he comes back to play tight end for the Washington (laughs) football team, which we think it's going to happen. That's what we're going to work on. But assuming you don't, I was looking at statistics. Uh, Like the average Hall of Fame wide receiver has 769 receptions. You have 970. Mm -hmm. An average Hall of Fame wide receiver has 11,791 yards. You have 12,351. You have 83 touchdowns. You have six Pro Bowls. How important is the Hall of Fame to you? Do you think about it?
6: Uh, I did think about it. And uh, being transparent, it's important to me because, and this is from a worldly perspective, just as a competitor. Every day I woke up, I woke up to be the best version of myself and then also compete at a level where it's like, damn, he did some amazing things. So, you know, it's important because of that. But at the end of the day, I think I'm in a good place well, I know I'm in a good place because there's guys out there that it, it's everything for them. Like, for me, it's all competition, mm. you know? Before, when we go back to McLean Hospital, first four or five years of my career, football was everything. It was my identity. When I left McLean, my identity became, you know, being a face of mental health. It was bigger than just me and football, right? So because of that, it's like... Man, if I if it happens, it happens. If you know, if it doesn't, whatever. But from a competitor standpoint, it's like you know, I, I never heard those stats before. Um, but from a competitor standpoint, I thought about that playing, and and the, and the reason why that's important because that's all I did my all my life, and um, I'm a guy that is goal oriented, you know. So that's like I thrive on that. Like, um, here's my goals, and I'm checking them off. You know, it's like I, it's just cool to me to be able to say I'm setting out to do this five years from now, and I'm gonna freaking do it. Mm. So, so, so that's why you know it's a it's a big deal.
1: Well, congratulations on I mean, your success off the field is just as remarkable to us yeah. as as the on the field. And the on the field is amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the I am athlete podcast uh, in the show, I could watch that forever. When <laughs> when 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 you and and Chad. Get into it and, f- and start arguing. That's right. like some of the most entertaining stuff I've ever seen. I mean, just two weeks ago, the, right. the video y'all dropped. Like it's, but it's an amazing accomplishment. And right. and you guys just started that last year, right? Right? Yep. Or you started it? Did yep. you start that? It w- yeah, it was my idea, but we have a whole team in place. But yes. Well, it's it's I, we're, we're so excited that Dale gets to go on that with you guys uh, yeah. because it's really <laughs> well done. No, really. Thank you. We're also excited to hear what you got to say about that ride that right. you're going to take.
7: <laughs> I mean, just uh, take it easy. I'll take you. it easy.
1: I'll tell you that, but I might not. Do not do Channing.
0: Yeah.
6: Crush Channing. Crush yeah. Channing. <laughs> Freak, Freaky Fred will be fine. He'll He'll love it. Freaky yeah. Fred. Um, Ocho. He, he's the wild card. You never know what you're going to get from Ocho. You don't, do you? You never know what you're going to get from Ocho. I'm, that's what he's going to get out,
0: and then he's going to try to enter a race as a driver. He still thinks he can go out there and do it.
6: No, he's going to be like, you know, give me a head start. I can beat this car. That, that's his type. You know what I mean? Like He's that type of guy. Like, oh, let me just yeah. run against the car really quick. Yeah. Let me see if I can beat him in 60 meters. You know, like that's Ocho. That's the wild card. Yeah. You know, me, I'm more conservative. You know, of the four of y'all, who will scream? Me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> me, and probably Tr- Channing Crowder. Mm. Oh yeah, I yeah. think he
1: wants you to get Channing.
6: No, 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 Channing. No, no. It's probably just me because Channing like dives. He he dives with sharks. He has a whole shark company where you can go diving with sharks out in um in like Pompano, Florida, or wherever it's at. But Channing's wild. He he uh, he hunts alligators. Um, he does that type of stuff. He wrestles like he's a wild
0: boy. Yeah, sounds like It'd be it. hard to impress him. Yeah, then. that'll be <laughs> tough. This won't be anything. This won't be nothing. <laughs> well.
7: Okay.
0: well, Brandon, uh, it's been a great conversation, man. Yep. I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Folks are gonna love to hear this. You gotta, I'll be pulling for you. You got a new fan in me, man. Thank everything you. you got going on, everything you got going in your life, it's gonna be fun to watch House of Athlete continue to grow uh i love the idea of you out there helping people understand to take their mental health seriously and um i enjoy i'll enjoy uh yeah watching you continue in broadcasting and and however far you want to take that right right. that's right that's 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 whatever you want it to be
6: well i appreciate you uh paving the way for for us you know us athletes and showing us that there is life after the sport so um You've done a phenomenal job. Man, I appreciate that. We all appreciate you. And, and Mike, keep crushing it. <laughs> I, you see, I, you're like sober today, Mike. Like, I felt like I was gonna get, you know, the wow Mike today. When
1: is when have you seen Wild Mike? I've done some research. <laughs>
7: there's
1: there's like been you're some the moments. one to
6: mix it up a little bit. He's you mix it up a little bit. Yeah. You asked the you asked the right questions. He's the well, se- he's the seasoning. He's the seasoning. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Hey, listen. Yeah.
1: I think a lot of the things that you guys apply is that sometimes we're just naturally curious about people and we just want to talk. And man, you have just given us so much yeah. stuff to. Just insight uh, that we've just been wanting wanting to ask somebody and you're it and right, uh, right. so thank you thank you so much all right this is awesome Brandon Marshall on the Dale Jr. download Brandon Marshall on the Dale
6: Jr. download is I'm about it? to go rock this garage baby <laughs> you want to go in there <laughs> yes
5: of course this good is, like, yeah.
6: hey this is amazing I'm
5: in the game you hear the crowd they terminate first 10 I'm in the game you hear the crowd they terminate first 10 I'm in the game you hear the crowd they terminate first 10 I'm in the game you
0: It's finally time for our favorite part of the show, Ask Junior, brought to you by Xfinity. Let's check out the questions our fans sent to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter. Hey, everybody, it's Dale Jr. here for the uh, Ask Junior portion of the podcast, and uh, this is brought to you by Xfinity, a proud premier partner of NASCAR. I'm a customer... um, and uh, enjoy the service. So, uh, people think that we we probably get our Xfinity internet for free, but I, I pay for my Xfinity internet, and I'm happy with it. Um, so yeah, we we uh, we got some questions that you guys have sent in to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed last week's show with Josh Berry, and having Josh as part of the Ask Junior uh, segment was a lot of fun for me. And uh, we got some things coming down the pipe with the with the podcast. Uh, that you guys are going to love. There is one guest that I am so excited about. You got some questions. Uh, Leah's going to help get those out here so we can get the answers.
2: Our first question coming from Eddie Wagner. What needs to be done to bring back the excitement and difficulty of old Richmond?
0: Uh, I'm telling you, man, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. I've said this for, uh, you know, the funny thing, I was watching the race, and I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about the action on the track and the lack of it, or compared to the past uh, and, and what we've seen there in, in years past. And I googled, uh, or I didn't Google, but I went on Twitter and I searched my username and the word "sealer" to see how many times I have said on Twitter or commented on Twitter about sealing Richmond. And uh, it was it was it was, a, it was a good it was a good amount. Um, <laughs> is what I was it was what I expected to see, but. They uh I've asked them about sealing that track again. They used to put sealer on it years ago, a long time ago. I think the last time they did was around 2004, but what the sealer does is, you know, it, you've you've seen a asphalt sealer uh, driving around town or maybe you sealed your driveway. Um when when it gets water on top of it, it's really slick. Um but it's got this kind of sticky adhe- kind of texture to it and it's kind of Maybe it's similar in a way to the PJ one, and how it when you when you race on it and you get it hot, the surface gets hot, and you get tire rubber sort of mixed into it. It kind of improves the grip. The cars go faster, and uh, but the problem with it is it does wear off or wear away, and that's when it gets really really good. So if they sealed Richmond completely uh the track would would look a lot darker and the first race on it would be very treacherous the first laps on that sealer would be a handful if you look back at articles of written when the track was sealed in the 90s and in early 2000s the drivers complained about how treacherous the racetrack was on the new sealer but once they get laps or, or a good you know good day of practicing or so forth uh on the sealer and get it sort of it, it breaks it in, if you will. The, the track gets better, gets more comfortable. The drivers get more comfortable. and But eventually, over the years, over many, many races, that sealer wears away. So if the guys are running right on the bottom of the racetrack, they will eventually use that sealer up, and they'll have to go up the racetrack with the right side tires to find more sealer. And you just keep doing that over, over the period of time. You go higher and higher and higher. Race after race after race, you're going further and further up the track, chasing that sealer, kind of like a cushion if, uh, of, uh, at a dirt track to find speed and grip until and you're way up the track, you know. And, and, and while that groove's fast, the bottom's still competitive in a way for a guy to make a pass. It just really makes the track really dynamic, and, uh, and it adds multiple grooves, where right now you can pin a guy down if you're on the top and beat him, but the bottom line is really where everybody wants to be. The problem is, is I've asked Richmond about sealing the track, and they're afraid that it really takes the takes a lot of years off of the life of the the surface, and it could actually end up p- breaking the surface apart. The forces and the, the improved grip will improve will increase the forces and pull and tug on that asphalt as the cars go around the corner, and they're afraid that it will it will break that surface apart and eventually. They'll end up having to repave the track years before they would, they would have hoped. Um, so that's the fear in doing it, I think. Aside from the fact that the drivers are really going to complain very loudly during that first experience of using a the, using the track with the sealer on it. So there's also the idea that maybe today's tire with the chemicals and, and, and ingredients that it takes to make won't work well, won't, won't, won't work well with the sealer as opposed to what, you know, they, they used to make tires with different chemicals and compounds and stuff years ago. How would today's tire react to the sealer? I'm not I'm not certain it might be even more treacherous than ever. Which is not a bad thing if you're watching a race. You want it to be treacherous. You want it to be dangerous, the louder the drivers are complaining. Usually that means it's more entertaining to watch. If it's easier, it appears easier, then it's less exciting. So, um, I don't know. I, I would, it'd be a... I can understand, uh, and I'm going long here on this, I know, but I can understand if I was the Richmond guy, if i on the track, I'd be pretty nervous to pull the trigger and get that, you know, get that sealer on there. I'd be nervous because there's so many what-ifs and risks, but it's easy for me to sit here in this chair and say, seal it, let's seal <laughs> it, put that sealer down, let's go, because it needs something, and it don't need PJ1. We don't need to spray that on everything.
2: Our next question coming from Josh Seda. Do you think it's possible to have 16 or more winners in the regular season based on how the first nine races have gone?
0: We debate that as well. Me and uh, my, my booth mates at NBC, Jeff Burton and Little Tartan. a lot of these, a lot of the the consensus is that it's not going to happen. It would take a few, it would take a few miracles or a few a wild card. It'd take more than a Michael McDowell at Daytona. It'd take several of those to make that you know happen. We get close. We get really close every year, but I think there's just so many guys in the playoffs, 16 drivers, that you're never really going to have that many winners in one season. Uh, and we got to expect at some point, Denny, Harvick, Chase, those guys. I mean, we're going to these road courses where you're going to have guys starting to get those multiple wins. Uh, we're going to have – we even though that, you know, Denny and, and Harvick, those guys, haven't got the wins now, I still feel like they're a four-, five-, six-win team, even with just this much left in the season. So uh, with that, if that happens, you know, a couple teams like that, get on a run, you're definitely not going to have that, you know, more than 16 winners.
2: Our next question coming from Higgy and all of your ride-alongs, who freaked out about the speed the most? Does anyone stand out in the ride-alongs that you've done?
0: Kelly, we went to Bristol. <laughs> uh, we, went, I, we got to do the Dale Jr. Foundation ride-alongs at Bristol. Excuse me. We've been doing the ride-alongs for a long time, and we usually do them at Charlotte Merchant Speedway, and, and they're pretty fun there. But uh, at Bristol, we did it for the first time, and it was a really amazing experience. And I think probably for the person riding along, it was it was as profound or as, as hardcore as, as you could probably make that for somebody. And a lot of people that go into it not knowing what's going to happen it it's over before they really have a chance to ask you to stop or slow down and, and or freak out right my sister having had some driving experience i think she kind of had an idea of what this might be like and and she got to that point much quicker of hey this is fast enough i don't want this anymore <laughs> so it was uh she'll disagree she might say no i was saying go faster <laughs> um this this you know i felt like that she really was uh surprised i guess by what 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 that experience was like riding in a car at bristol because it's unlike any other racetrack she's the one that i probably probably comes to mind but that was the most that was also the most recent one but uh you know we'll we go to charlotte and and you can go you can so at charlotte i can i can run 170 but the you know the cars are running much faster than that and so i feel like we're not we're only getting about three quarters of the experience. We go to Bristol. We ran that car. I was like only uh, I was in a second off of uh, like pole speed or, or or hot laps in practice. The laps that we were running, that's about what they run on old tires in, at Bristol. And so in my mind, I felt like we were getting a much more similar experience than uh, than than what like what the Cup guys are getting there.
2: Uh, next question coming from Alex Martinez. Do you agree with Bubba's suggestion that an F1 race in Miami should be used as a lead-in for a Cup Series race at Homestead in the same day?
0: Yeah, it's asking a lot of people to, to – because Homestead's a little bit farther. Uh, it's like an hour drive. And, man, when I go to a race or 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 a sporting event of any kind, it, when it's over, I'm I'm done. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm ready to go home. Um you know you especially like a race weekend is an experience people people come day a day or two ahead of time uh they're camping and they're doing whatever and i don't know if you want to you want to split
1: that up um what do you think mike i like him thinking outside of the box but i don't think it's a very likely thing to ever yeah. happen i mean just the logistic just the traffic just all that like it that's asking a lot for one day um i do yeah, yeah. I agree
0: it's a very uh, ro- you know it's a very you know, robust uh, idea and we, you want to make as big a splash as you can make but I doubt that if1 would want to share their event with anything else happening in the region especially that first one but uh, you know and and NASCAR's not going to want to play second fiddle uh, or be the you know be the closing actor I don't know it, it just uh, it'd be tough to do I don't see it had it ever happened
2: Our next question coming from Dale Soane. Uh, My local track, Western Speedway in Canada, will soon be lost. We've only got two more seasons. Any suggestions on things people miss when they are preserving memories of a track? I plan on taking lots of pictures, but looking for other suggestions.
0: Yeah, pictures. Oh, I don't know, man. We've done – Lost Speedway should give us the answer to that. But it's been – I'll tell you this. Like, the physical evidence of these tracks uh, – if there's, if there's any way possible that you can acquire something that, that would remind you of that track, some kind of keepsake or something, no matter what it is, uh, those things are kind of important. You, it might be something that really doesn't even make sense now, but 20 years from now, that piece or that item is going to be a big deal to you or somebody that has some history there. It, a great example of doing that the wrong way is I used to race late models um, in the 90s, and we'd bang up a door or, or tear up a fender and throw it out behind the shop and put another one on the car. And then I got you know, 20 years down the road in my career and I'd die to have any of that sheet metal. Uh, and I've worked hard to find whatever's out there, but I mean, there was piles of sheet metal and stuff like that left laying behind shops and, and in the back room that, uh, that I'd love to have my hands on. And uh and it doesn't exist anymore. You know, that piece of that piece of that evidence or that physical piece of that racetrack or or a guardrail or what a billboard, whatever that you could you can acquire um during the during the disassemble of the track is is something that you might really appreciate hanging on to.
2: Our next question coming from Alan Harkle Road. Uh many races were broadcast virtually last season. Which track are you looking forward to calling races at? In person again, um, <laughs> or is there all anything about calling them from the virtual booth that you'll miss?
0: Mm, nothing about that I'll miss, man. I'm <laughs> telling you. It, it was nice just to drive down the street to Charlotte and go to work. Uh, I ain't going to lie, but I, I, I did miss traveling. I just missed, you know, you, I, I missed being at the track because the energy from the race itself or the fans and the grandstands, all that stuff really improves your ability to broadcast the race. You feel that energy and it comes out in, in, in your voice. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I was just on the phone with Jeff Burton and, and, uh, Rick Allen the other day, just talked to Jeff yesterday about us traveling together, being able to talk. Uh, so what I, what I won't have is the practice, the qualifying. That's so important as a broadcaster because it helps set up the stories for the weekend. Who's fast. Who's not fast. Who had trouble in practice. Who was great in practice. It sort of helps you shape how you think you feel about the race. Right. and, what you might talk about during the race. And we don't have that anymore. We come in cold, jump right there, right? Just jump in the seat and, and green flag, go, right? So being able to fly together and, and travel together is going to be so helpful for us to be able to have a conversation and communicate in person leading into the race and setting up our stories about how we want to open the broadcast and all those things because we all we, – we talk about that and, 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 and make those decisions, Ourselves, so uh, I'm really looking forward to doing those things again, and uh, I can't wait till we get some sort of form of practice back. You know, some some type just just 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it may be, something some warm up or practice, uh, some sort of qualifying procedure. I don't know what that looks like if it ever comes back or what it looks like in the future, but I'm hoping there's some component there that helps us again, like the opening chapter of the weekend. It helps us really. Uh, understand how this race might go. Our
2: next question coming from Billy Townsend. Uh, David Pearson, Richard Petty, Kale Yarbo. You have to wreck one, pass one, and fight one.
1: <laughs> Who are the three again?
2: Uh, David Pearson, Richard Petty, and Kale Yarbo. Oh my
0: gosh, that's so hard.
2: <laughs> I love this. I thought it was so rec funny.
0: What you Wreck one? Wreck
2: one, one, pass one. Pass one. And okay. fight Passing one. Passing
0: one's easy. Oh, my gosh. I would probably fight Kale. <laughs> Cause you'd either you'd have your hands full. I can't imagine trying to fight Richard Petty. That would be the weirdest thing ever. Um, so I'd probably fight Kale and be, and then we'd we'd be, we'd be like best friends afterwards. In my mind, Wreck David Pearson. Cause again, I can't imagine wrecking Richard Petty. Right, he's the king. So I would pass the king. I guess passing the king.
2: Passing the king. All right, one more question. Uh, this one coming from David Hitchcock. What's your favorite episode of The Office, and who's your favorite <laughs> character from The Office?
0: I don't have. I don't know how you pick a favorite episode. Um, I think my favorite character was probably Jim. It, you know, that's by far my favorite show. Always, I, I think it always will be. I used to think that it was like. Uh, I mean, I had a. There's been one of those. There's been several shows like that in in each decade. Like Cheers was a big deal. Um, you know, every you know, Norm coming in and everybody hollering, Norm. I used to watch Cheers all the time. And there's been other shows like that that you sort of you don't you latch on and you just don't you don't stop watching it. But Office came in and just blew them all away in my opinion. One of my favorite shows ever. Y'all want to know a funny story? We were going to race in Fontana, I guess. We had lined up for me to go to the set. Oh, this is all coming back to me. Yep. Yeah. So we were going to go to the set of The Office. That was That, yeah. you know, that was going to be great, right? I didn't know if they were going to be filming or doing any work or anybody would be there, but we were going to the set, and that was going to be this you know kind of cool thing we did as we flew in for the weekend. And on the way there, I chipped a tooth eating something in the plane. And I freaked out, and I called uh, a buddy of mine, that lived in LA, and I was like, "Hey, you got a dentist? I need to see a dentist." Now. That's right. And he's like, "Yeah." And so we ended up diverting to the dentist instead of the office <laughs> set. Oh man, I'll never forget it. I forgot that. i was so disappointed. Never did get to go. Same thing sort of happened with Nirvana. I was a huge Nirvana fan, and I was going to uh, college <laughs> at Mitchell in Statesville, North Carolina, and we were going to go to the I think the Omni in Atlanta or something like that. We were going to Atlanta and I think they were playing the Omni. And man, we were we were going. We were we had planned to go. And that morning, he's like, I don't want to go. And we didn't go. And then like they were, he Yeah. Hmm. Never got a chance to see him again. <sighs> but anyhow, huge fan of the office. Thanks for that question. I right, hey, some great questions. Hope you guys uh have had a great weekend. I sure did. Hope you're gonna have a great week. Uh, appreciate you guys supporting our YouTube channel and everything we're doing here at Dirty Mo Media. Uh, door Bumper Clear; those guys will be glad if you listen to their show as well. Take it easy. See y'all next week. My favorite part of the show is over again. Goes by too fast, Mike. Yeah, it's almost like we get through it at the speed of Xfinity X5. X-Fi. Well, Xfinity X5 X-Fi is more than just fast; it's also reliable, powerful, and secure, meaning anyone can do more of what they love with faster internet
1: that's true you can keep your crew connected with wi-fi coverage that delivers the speed your devices need so your crew can stay in the fast lane on race day remember everyone send your ask junior questions to add xfinity racing on twitter
0: all right before we hit the road thank you to xfinity proud premier partner of nascar Last call, man. That's a great show. Thanks to Brandon Marshall for coming in. Coming in town to be at our be at our desk, at our table. Um, great conversation with him. The Dale Jr. Download with Brandon Marshall will be on NBCSN this Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. Eastern Thursday. Uh, a new episode of Door Bumper Clear After Richmond is out now. TJ, Brett, and Freddie are joined by John Wood from the Wood Brothers. He's a hilarious... If you don't follow the Wood Brothers account on on Twitter, you should. John runs it, and it's quirky and funny. Plus, they discussed the lack of cautions recently at Richmond, the worst drivers they've spotted for, that should be pretty good, Mm. and much more. Door bumper clear, available on all major podcast platforms. It was a great show, guys. Enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great week. We'll see you. This bit of bad was bad It was made by Bad-Ashery. Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.